Hi, my name is Camille Mitchell. I've been Sheriff Adams on Smallville. I've got two Hallmark movies coming up soon. And you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that has all of the fuel and isn't giving you any. September has been and gone. Well, it's actually still September as we record, but from listening purposes, it's been and gone. And there was a bunch of trailers and news and other stuff that we can talk about. So this month, I have joining me for an extensive news and trailer chat is Kat. It's your turn. Hi, how are you doing? Hey, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. No problem. I'm glad you're here for what might be the biggest list of trailers we've ever had Genuinely. on this newish <laughs> feature. So many trailers. <laughs> so many. My goodness. Busy with marketing over in various Everywhere. places, I guess. Yeah, yeah throwing Everywhere. stuff at us. Yeah, I think it's because finally cinemas are open most places and we're able to kind of plan ahead <laughs> yeah. release movies and all of the stuff that studios have been sitting on for all this time. So we finally get to see some of it, which is great. Yeah. But before we get to that, let's just do a bit of catch up on what you've been exposing yourself to over the past little while. So what have you been watching that you would like to share with the listeners and with me? Because maybe I don't know. <laughs> well, recommendations. Let's see. So I just finished watching the newest season of My Hero Academia, which is shown in anime. It's on Crunchyroll. It was simulcast with Japan, but I just kind of binged it over the last few weeks. And it's interesting. For those who don't know, My Hero Academia is kind of a superhero anime. The concept is that everybody has what they call a quirk or a superpower. And because it's like 80% of the world is superpowered, there's kind of a need for regulation and that sort of thing. And the main characters are kids who go to hero school to become heroes later down the line. It's one of my favorite things over the last few years. And season five, I would say, has been a bit of a mix. The first half, I could really do without. It's a little bit of a filler arc, which is fine. Generally, the show kind of alternates between heavy plot and kind of drama, and then kind of more lighthearted school-based arcs. And so far, I found the balance to be very well done. Except in season five, they start off with the more lighthearted stuff, and they make us wait for the cooler supervillain plot. And I could have done without that first half, I have to say. <laughs> But other than that, things are heading in a very interesting direction. And we just wrapped on season five. So now begins the long wait, which will probably be at least a year for season six. And I may or may not read the manga from this point on because I am very curious. But we'll see. Just to get your fix. 
Yeah. I just want to know that the superhero children are doing okay. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that? They're precious to me. But yeah, I mean, other than that, I went to the cinema the other day. Oh my God, Mm. La Gasp. And I saw The Green Knight, which I'd been looking forward to since that trailer first dropped. I was like, oh my God, so here for this. Yes, please. It's really good. It's very, shall we say, symbolism heavy. I haven't read Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Don't. Chaucer is not (laughs) a fun read. I'm having flashbacks to uni and I don't want to go back there. Just let's not go there. (laughs) I think the only version that I'm more keen on reading is the one that J.R.R. Tolkien did, which I hear is very good and I have a copy of. Probably more accessible, right? Yeah, because his thing was, it's a modern English, quote unquote, adaptation of the poem. So I don't know how academic the approach of the movie is, if that makes sense. I have just a feeling from just watching it and the way that there's almost kind of chapter headings during the film. And so I just kind of wonder how faithful it is. It feels like it's very faithful to the poem itself and also just to analyses, perhaps, of the poem through the years. It's beautiful visually. Gosh, it's just such a beautifully shot film. Very pretty colors, very minimalist approach. So there's not a whole lot of fanfare. The imagery is very simple and just very evocative. Very interesting score. Kind of a mix between almost kind of dark ambient electronica of just bassy, almost menacing sounds. And then choirs. But the choir is kind of like a a contemporary opera approach. So it's disconcerting and weird. Quintet, perhaps. So very small number of vocalists. And then the bassy stuff underneath. Very cool. Was very into it. Cool. And also, I haven't been to the cinema in so long that it's kind of a (laughs) breath of fresh air. How about you? What have I been watching? Nothing hugely new. I haven't really been to the cinema an awful lot. I went to see Shang-Chi. Obviously, I had to see that and really enjoyed it, loved it. And the review is on the website. The podcast is in the editing suite. Me and Chris talk quite a bit about the various bits and pieces of that. So that'll be dropping into your feed sometime after you can listen to this. I don't know exactly when, but soon, hopefully soon. And loved it. Loved Shang-Chi. A great return to the cinema for Marvel movies. I know Black Widow is a return to the cinema for Marvel movies, but a great return for something new, something different, a new character and all that stuff. So it was great to see that. And I'd highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. I know you have seen it. I have, yes. I very agree with you. Great return to Marvel form. Beautiful film. Just spectacular. Loved it. And also just very fun. Not that Black Widow wasn't fun, but this was, oh, okay, you're doing something new. I like this. This is great. Yeah, so that's all I've really seen. In terms of TV, it's been more of the same, although a lot of the TV shows I watch are finished for the meantime, although there's a very small gap between the old seasons finishing and the new ones beginning, because I guess they're just trying to get back on track. Mm. So it just means that, for example, Legends of Tomorrow finished, and then it's a month, it's off the air before the new season begins. That's how much of a lag there's been, and everything else is going to trickle back on. So I've only really been watching Supergirl and What If... What If I've been kind of enjoying. There'll be a podcast about that. Reviews are on the site. And Supergirl, I'm always enjoying in terms of at least the character stuff. The story stuff is always hit and miss where Supergirl's concerned. And they're doing very overt approaching issues type stories at the moment, whether it be prison corruption or various other things. Environmentalism. They did climate change in one episode and tried to solve climate change. 
but they couldn't. <laughs> did that work? <laughs> it did Can we not. do what they did? No? Okay. Too bad. They accidentally created a giant trash golem that they had to fight. Because you can't punch <laughs> climate change, but you can punch a giant trash golem. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a superhero show, whatever. It's Supergirl. If you were invested in the show, you would understand why they're doing that and how they did it. And you'd be like, yeah, this feels on brand. But yeah, it's a good show and it's finishing relatively soon forever. So I'm going to miss it. My weekly fix of Melissa Benoist is going to be going away, which is a shame. Mm. Going to be a shame. What will she do next? Who knows? <laughs> so that's really been it. I've had busy personal life stuff to be getting on with, so I haven't really been watching a ton of other stuff. So yeah, that's me. So before we move on to trailers, what would you like to plug? Is there anything going on in your outside of Neil Before Pod life that you'd like to point listeners towards? Well, for those who don't know, I am or one of the podcast editors at Strange Horizons magazine, which is a speculative short fiction and poetry online magazine. You can read the stuff for free. And I am one of the voices that does the podcast versions of the short stories. And we just won a British Fantasy Award yesterday. Well done. At the time of recording. 27th of September, that would be Exactly, then. which is kind of crazy, but there we go. Or I think it might have been Sunday, actually, that we won. But yeah, we won a British Fantasy Award. So that was really great to be recognized for the stuff that we've been doing. Lots of great science fiction and fantasy stories. Various lengths. I think the longest story I've recorded was about an hour long. But it's a great one. (laughs) It features a guy who has cockroaches for teeth. So if that's your bag, please check it out. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So Strange Horizons is what I would point you to. And we're also up for a Hugo Award later in the year. So we'll see how that goes. I'm not really expecting us to win. But I wasn't expecting us to win the British Fantasy one. So who knows at this point? Everything's up for grabs. Well done. You contributed to all of that. So very well done. No, thank you very much. You're welcome. For me, plugging... Just look on the website. There's a bunch of stuff you can read or listen to. I'm involved in most of it. Outside of it, I'm still affiliated with the We Made This podcast network. They still want me around for some reason. So I am currently co-hosting Rarely Going, which is a Star Trek animated podcast. We're covering Lower Decks at the moment, and we'll be doing Prodigy when that comes on. We'll have a bit of a Star Trek chat later on on this particular news bit, but you can find me over there as well if you're not sick of the sound of my voice on the Neil Before pod sphere of stuff. So there we go. That's about all I have to plug about myself. So yeah, there we go. So shall we jump into some trailers? When I say some trailers, all of the trailers. Every single <laughs> yes, one of them. Please. <laughs> Every trailer that ever came out that may be tangentially connected to nerd stuff. Let's start with The Matrix Resurrections. So we finally got a trailer for this long-awaited question mark movie sequel, long-delayed sequel. Don't know if we needed a long-delayed sequel, but we can get into that. What did you think of the Matrix Resurrections trailer? Are you connected to the Matrix franchise as it is, or as it was, or is this not something that you're bothered about? I enjoyed the Matrix movies, and contrary to a lot of people, I kind of enjoyed the sequels too. The last one in particular, I remember enjoying quite a bit. I haven't seen them in a very long time. Whenever this film was announced, I was like, do we need another Matrix movie? But that being said, the trailer is dope. And so I'm here, I guess. Let's bring it. I mean, I'm generally a Wachowski fan, so anything they do, yes, sign me up. It's usually a great time. I love their approach to sci-fi, which is very imaginative, very out of the box, and bright and colorful and visually stunning. 
usually all of their stuff is, even things like Sense8, which was not super effect heavy, perhaps, but visually it was always something that just looked amazing. So I don't know. I really, really like this trailer. I don't know where they're going with this. I really don't. Still am not convinced that it's absolutely necessary for the story itself. I think the narrative has been complete for some time, but let's hear it, I guess. How about you? Well, I'm less positive, mm-hmm. and I wonder if in some circles I'm just seen as this negative black cloud that comes over <laughs> and just rains on what people might be excited about. But I'm in that camp of I like the first Matrix movie and kind of pretend the other two don't exist. (laughs) I think that's a popular camp. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of the few times that I'm in the sphere of popular opinion. (laughs) And Mm. normally I'm kind of going against the grain a little bit. Although I'll say I don't passionately hate the other two films. I can just quietly ignore them. When people ask me about them, I will say, yeah, there was some cool stuff in there, but ultimately I don't really want to watch them. So if I decide to watch The Matrix, I'll just stop at The Matrix and won't go any further. That's as far as I'm fine with. In the case of this one, I think visually it looks amazing and there could be some interesting stuff in there and it is only a trailer so I do have to preface everything I say with this could be completely different. But it just looks to me that they're doing a Force Awakens or a Jurassic World here where it's just reskinning the first film again and giving it to us in a slightly different way because it's got a lot of visual cues. You've got the pills, you've got the dojo, you've got Alice in Wonderland stuff, you've got the White Rabbit stuff. So it's really pointing in the direction of, here's the stuff you remember from the first one. And I just couldn't help but think as I was watching it, how many times are we going to see this film, which is just 20 years on or however long it is, that film that you watched again, but with a slightly different coat of paint on it and I'm kind of tired of it already as I say The Force Awakens everyone raves about that or not everybody but a lot of people rave about that and I'm decisively underwhelmed by it and I always have been Jurassic World I really hated I thought it was dreadful so to see this done to the Matrix I'm not overly keen on it and I'm sure we could do a proper trailer breakdown about analysing every second of footage and just being here's what this points to and here's what this points to and isn't it interesting that they make this reference and whatever else and I think that's all there and it's a million breakdowns on YouTube so you don't need us to do it. (laughs) There's lots of people that have done it already. But yeah, I just can't get excited about it because at least the trailer, I don't feel like it's showing me anything new or new enough to make me excited about it. Of course I'll see it. I mean, that goes without saying, but... It hasn't grabbed me in the way that it has grabbed other people. I think that's all fair enough to say. I wonder what the storyline projected will be. What will it mean for the Matrix that we know and for the stuff that's been iconic for the last 20 years? I think it's not an exaggeration to say that in particular the first movie, but also, I mean, generally, the Matrix reshaped a lot of things about cinema and a lot of things about sci-fi, a lot of things about blockbusters. So I just wonder how this will fit in that kind of domino row of the Matrix and whether or not it's going to bring everything down with it. Sometimes you can overdo it with your own work. There's at least a few things I can think of, as you say, Jurassic World, etc., where, well, that didn't necessarily add anything to the story that was any better, no positive addition, just an addition. <laughs> and sometimes that can 
not be a good thing. So as you say, I'm open to that possibility too. It could suck very well. Who knows? But I'm just on the general camp of please give the Wachowskis all the money to make whatever the heck they want (laughs) at any point. Whenever they're like, we want to make this X thing, this TV series, this movie. We just have this vision. Do it. Give them all the money they need. I don't care. Sometimes you'll get Jupiter Ascending, but sometimes you'll get something else. I will defend Jupiter Ascending with my (laughs) life, but that's another podcast. Oh, that could be a trial movie. (laughs) That could be a trial movie, absolutely. This is the thing. I think Jupiter Ascending is peak Wachowski in that they went out of the box. They just had all of this stuff and they were like, we can't get the money guaranteed to make this into a show, but we can make a movie. Everything about it is perfectly decent. It's just squished. That's my opinion of Jupiter Ascending. I heckin' love it. I don't even care. (laughs) But yeah, anyway, we'll see. (laughs) I suppose. The Matrix, we'll see. (laughs) And it's only one Wachowski that's come back for this. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's just Lana, I think. Yeah. So it's Lara is the other one. Is that right? Lily. Lily, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Where did I? I should have looked that up and should have known that, but never mind. But she said the reason she didn't come back is just because it was something that she'd done before and didn't really feel the need to come back to Mm. something she'd done before. I wonder if one of the other points that wasn't reported or that she didn't say was, well, we made three of them and you hated two of them. So why would I want to make another one? Audience. (laughs) Of the two of them, I think Lana's the one who's more the writer and just kind of like, oh, I have this idea. I think she's the one who's just like, I have all this stuff. (laughs) And then Lily goes ahead. And so that's fair enough. The Coens also do this where sometimes it's just Joel who just has to make something. And then Ethan's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to sit this one out. Vice versa. That in itself... I don't take issue with. We'll find out about The Matrix just before Christmas. And my expectations are quite low, so I don't think I can really be disappointed. So that's good. It's good to know that you can't really be disappointed going into something. It's kind of comforting in a way, sometimes. I think it's a great baseline to start from. I have discovered some of my favourite stuff by going in with, I can't be disappointed, I already expect zero or sub-zero and then when it turns out to be above that it's like oh well then so i think it's a great mindset who knows maybe you'll end up loving it after this we'll see i hope so i mean i don't want to be sitting in a cinema just before christmas hating something of course i don't why would i want to do that that's really bizarre i'm hoping i love this it's just this trailer didn't grab me that was all Mm. and i'm going to be honest about that because why wouldn't i be let's move on cat i know what you did last summer Oh, do you now? <laughs> was it what I nothing? did last summer was as glamorous as everybody else, which is nothing at all. <laughs> but also they're doing a TV show. Amazon Prime are doing a TV show based on the movies. Of course. Of the same name. And the trailer is something. It's the same thing, but with younger actors in a modern context. So it's, it's doing the same thing, but as a TV show. This trailer, it didn't grab me, to be honest. I'll probably never watch it. I do quite like the two I Know What You Did Last Summer movies for what they are. I think they're decent enough as slasher thriller type situations. But this, is it really going to add anything? They tried it with Scream and it didn't work. So is this going to work? I guess not. That's my prediction. I think I'm with you on that. I don't have strong feelings about this franchise. I think there's an audience out there for it and... We'll see. But I have to say that I am on the same boat as you. I'm probably not going to watch it. I don't care enough to devote my time to it. (laughs) 
But who knows? The one kind of opportunity that you get with things like this, where you move mediums across from film to TV, is you get the chance to maybe revisit, fix some things, re-envision some things, do them differently for a different style, because TV works quite differently. And in fact, it's the question of, is it going to be the kind of um, story that works best when you binge it? Or is it going to be the sort of thing that you can kind of come and go and taking breaks in between? Because Amazon has done the thing where they just drop one episode a week. And some shows have really worked when they do that. And other shows, I'm like, I've already forgotten what happened last week. Looking at you, American gods. So perhaps it's uh, going to be one of those things where I'm going to wait to see what people say about it because I don't necessarily care enough to seek it out myself. But if it turns out to be good, then all right. Yeah, sure. Might be. Yeah, I think Amazon's drop format at the moment is two or three episodes first week and then one a week after that. And then one a week, right. I think that's what they've been doing with most of their stuff. If it works, it works. But whatever. yeah, I don't know if I'll see this. I don't even know if I'll know anybody that will tell me about it, because I don't think many people I know will be that interested. I could be wrong. I have no idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't run it by everybody that I know. Just based on this, whatever. It's just a, another revival of a pretty simplistic concept, to be honest. And I mentioned Scream when they did the TV series. I watched the first episode of that and, and thought it was really rubbish. But there's a scene in that, because the Scream films are always self-aware, they interrogate horror movies in those movies because they are spoofs of a sort. And in the first episode of the Scream TV series, there's a bit where they talk about, you can't adapt a slasher series of films into a TV show. And then they spend the rest of the pilot proving that, no, you can't. (laughs) Watch me. (laughs) I get they were setting themselves that challenge. We're going to prove that statement wrong here. No, you kind of proved it right. Well, you proved it right enough for me not to want to watch any more episodes of this. So that was that. I I know what you did last summer is not the same thing, but it's similar enough, I think. I think... They exist in the same breath in some ways. Hmm. They would be on the same list of horror franchises that people remember or people talk about or people like to revisit. So, yeah, it's name recognition. That's why they're doing it, of course. And someone will see what it's like. Not me, but someone will. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of long gestating horror franchises, we have another one. Trailer for Halloween Kills, which is the now third Halloween film, ignoring all the other Halloween movies, as in the last one was a sequel to the first one that ignored every film that was made since. And now this is a sequel to that one. It's very confusing, but whatever. It's just some guy in an inside-out William Shatner mask stabbing people, so you better follow it. (laughs) It's not complicated. It looks okay. Standard Halloween fare. We thought he was dead. He's not dead. He's killing people again. We're going to go back to his childhood home, so there'll be a different continuity where they'll explore his origins, which may or may not be that he's Laurie Strode's brother, which in this continuity, at least in the last film, he wasn't. He might be again. I don't know. I don't really care. I tend to find that exploring the history of Michael Myers is not that interesting because he's the Terminator. He's a thing that comes after you. It doesn't really need much of a personality. It looks pretty good, though. It looks like there'll be some good slasher stuff in there. It's good to see. It's good to see Jamie Lee Curtis back in that role. This could be the end of her, her killed again. She was killed in, I think it was Halloween H2O. So she might get killed in this one again. How many times can an actor play different versions of the same character that die? It's a good question. Looks all right. I'll see it for sure. 
I like the Halloween movies. It's a slasher franchise that I do engage with. So we'll see. I will see this in the cinema, most likely. I won't. I'm not a slasher fan in any way, shape, or form. No, thank you. I haven't seen any of the Halloween movies. I know, crime against cinema. (laughs) But also, it's really not my genre. And so this is like, yep, okay, great. Another one for people who like this. But it ain't me, I'm afraid. I would say try and watch the John Carpenter original, if nothing else, because it is very good. Hmm. Or don't. It's up to you. (laughs) (laughs) I may do. I may or may not. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, moving on, we have a teaser for The Sandman, which is something that a few people that are associated with this podcast are very excited about. I watched the teaser and I think it looks really good, really interesting. I don't know an awful lot about the comic, I haven't read it, but I did speak to Isaac before this podcast, because I speak to Isaac outside of this podcast. It happens sometimes. And he was talking about how he loves it, he thinks it looks really cool, and it looks very comic book accurate, so... Mm -hmm. I'll take his word on that. It does look good. I think they've put a lot of effort into adapting this. Mm-hmm. That much has come through based on the, the reports of stuff beforehand. So I will try and give this a watch when it does appear, mm-hmm. whenever that is. Yeah, it looks fun. Yeah, it looks me cool. too. So my experience with The Sandman is a little unique. So I haven't read the comic either, but because I was recently a juror at the British Fantasy Awards, I was juror in the best audio category. I listened to the Audible original version, which is a full cast adaptation of the comic, I think of the first three volumes, I want to say. So I have visuals in my head based on the audio version, which I hear is quite comic book accurate. This trailer is from the first chapter, and it's pretty much exactly as I pictured it. (laughs) It's a good sign. Yeah, but I kind of refuse to like read the comic at this point. I want to preserve this experience that I've had, which is just audio, because I think it's a very unique way to experience a graphic novel. I don't think that it's been done very much in this way to adapt a comic book exactly panel by panel and everything, but with a full score and a full dramatic cast and everything. And Neil Gaiman actually is the narrator, so he describes bits that aren't in dialogue, and he kind of gives us context and stuff. Very enjoyable production. There's a couple of things about The Sandman that I don't love. I don't know how I avoided this knowledge, honestly, with this being one of the biggest graphic novels ever. Originally, the concept was done to revive a character or a set of characters from the troves of DC comics. And so this story is a new story featuring all these characters, but it's in the DC universe. Arkham Asylum is in it. John Constantine appears. The Justice League is mentioned offhandedly. And for me, personally, that's a turnoff. I'm not here for that. (laughs) The minute they would mention something about Arkham Asylum, I'd be like, ugh, I don't care. Give me the stuff that happens in hell. There's (laughs) demons and all sorts of ungodly creatures and spirits and stuff. That's what I'm here for. But the minute you bring in a character or a place I already know, it's like, eh, it just feels pandery. But 
That being said, this was done in the late 80s. So, you know, I can't be mad at it, basically. (laughs) So it'll be interesting to see how much of that comes through into the Netflix show. Is it the sort of thing where they might decouple some of the DC things? Will they anonymize the asylum? Is it still going to be Gotham City? I have questions. But on the whole, that teaser looks spot on. And I'm hopeful that it's going to be good. There's a couple of chapters I'm not looking forward to. That's all I'll say. Anyway. Um. <laughs> that stuff you're talking about, it is easy to remove most of that without changing the story too much. It can be mm. any asylum. And John Constantine is Joan Constantine in this version. Jenna Coleman's playing Joan Constantine, who I believe is supposed to be John Constantine's grandmother or something in this version. Yes. So I don't know how much that will change everything, but I think it'll be easy enough to detach it. It's interesting how... The last time you were on, when we were talking about Suicide Squad, you were talking about how you were annoyed that it wasn't connected to the DC films or yeah. didn't seem connected. Now well, you're, I mean, you know. here's, here's the thing. Because <laughs> the Suicide Squad's like, here's all these villains, right, that exist in stories. The connection, I think, is kind of expected. But when you have a story that could very well not be part because it's not part of the real world, quote unquote. There's stuff that takes place completely outside time when the dream realm and in heaven and hell and places that I don't expect to see Superman in. And I don't know what the story of those characters dream and destiny and desire and death and all these people. I don't know what their story was pre-Sandman. But I think at this point, it's safe to say that because the Sandman was so iconic, that's what is expected now, I suppose. If these characters appear anywhere else, it's going to be those versions. For me, it was more interesting when they were just these characters from their own world. And then the DC stuff just felt like an intrusion. And I'm sure that for some people at the time, it was the other way around. I imagine being a DC comic book reader in the late 80s and being like, who are these people? I want to see more Batman. And then when you see people from like the Gotham Asylum and characters who you know, but they're just kind of tangentially connected to this, it's like, oh, okay, maybe I can connect with this. Maybe I can engage with that as an established reader of other things. So it's all fair is what I'm saying. I think it's going to be interesting how they adapt this and how they move forward with it. And we're already getting a new version of the Neil Gaiman Lucifer, where we got an extended TV show not so long ago that was something i forgot to talk about in the what i've been watching i watched the final season of lucifer and loved it i thought it was a very good ending for that show that i really enjoy but yeah i'm sure this version will equally put a stamp on that character in the way that tom ellis did which is a very different take on it anyway so yeah it'd be interesting to see if they do reference outside of itself they don't have to i don't think i don't think that it's necessary for what the story or what i understand the story to be which is limited because I haven't read it or been really exposed to it, other than when Isaac talked me through the casting a few months ago, which really helped in terms of giving me an idea of what to expect from this. But I will watch this, I think. I know that me and Netflix stuff is a bit iffy. I tend not to watch it, but I'm I'm interested enough to try and put some time aside for this when it appears. Maybe we'll get a podcast about it because I know Isaac will be interested. Yeah, for sure. Okay, speaking of Netflix, next up we have Night Teeth, which is a vampires on a night out type story. And I have to say, I wasn't keen on this at all. I just thought it looked a bit standard for these sorts of things. I just thought it looked really dull. Hmm. Vampire stories don't always grab me, but this, not for me. Yeah, 
I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I will say I've heard a few things about this very tangentially. Did not know what to expect. And when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, okay, this is fine, I guess. I have to say there's a couple of things in there that are interesting. Just the idea of these girl vampires, they look kind of harmless, but they're anything but. And then bringing in a hapless guy into their shenanigans and potentially a life or death situation. Who knows? I would expect that, them being vampires and all. I really don't like the title. <laughs> I think the title is <laughs> lame. <laughs> Night Teeth. All right. It's just a lame title. I think it looks nice in terms of color and the way that it's filmed, all this neon stuff. It's quite trendy right now, I think. Just kind of neon lighting and sharp contrasts and things like that. I think it looks interesting. But that doesn't necessarily promise anything of a guaranteed quality. So I will probably watch a little bit of it just because I know someone who's worked on it, but I don't foresee this becoming a favorite by any stretch. <laughs> It'll be the Netflix mold of they expect you to be absentmindedly scrolling through social media while you have it on in the background when you're half watching it. Well, there's a time and a place for things like that. There's a market right? for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it exists. Okay. But yeah, sexy vampires go wild. I guess is a synopsis you could use. <laughs> there you go. Sexy vampires. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On a wild night out. Wow. Yeah. Megan Fox is in it, although I don't think she features heavily in the trailer, but she's in no, it. No, not at all. I was like, is that Megan Fox? When I was watching the trailer, I was who's that? Where is she? So she'll be playing some kind of killer demon type thing again, picking up the Jennifer's body vibes, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, perhaps. Or maybe she's playing a human. I have no idea. And I don't really care enough to find out. Will I watch this? No, probably not. It's not going to happen. But someone can tell me that they watched it and it was fine. I imagine will be what I get told if I find someone that watches it. It'll be you. It'll be the, I watched the first 10 minutes and they were fine. But I turned it <laughs> off. <laughs> not excited about this. But it's a Netflix thing. So that's my style, isn't it? I watch Netflix trailers and then never watch anything on Netflix. That's the way I roll. <laughs> Speaking of crappy titles, Invasion the most generic title you can ever think of. But it looks great. Apple TV Plus, alien invasion, post-apocalyptic thing. It looks really good. It does look very bleak. And I don't know how much I can cope with another bleak post-apocalyptic alien invasion. But certainly visually it grabbed me. Cast is great. The story looks like it'll be interesting. So I might give this a go at some point. I do like the look of it even though I'm a bit sick of nihilistic futures or nihilistic invaded presence. Yeah, very with you on that. I think that was my first thought when I started the trailer. I was like, oh God, here we go again. Uh, (laughs) Alien invasion. It's the end of life as we know it. My first reaction is to be tired of this. (laughs) But I will say that as the trailer went on, I was like, first of all, this looks amazing. Just on that alone, there's just some very cool imagery and stuff. It doesn't look run-of-the-mill, which at this point, perhaps the bar is low, but I'll take it. It looks very good. I don't know what to expect in terms of story. It could be very depressing. I think there was a time, especially pre-pandemic, where I would have jumped at the chance for, ooh, yeah, give me a dark story about the world ending. But I think we've been through a couple of years where it's just been intensely traumatic and difficult for a lot of us for a protracted period of time, and we're not out of it yet. And so darker apocalypse stories, I'm 
a little less keen on now. Hilariously, I was working on an apocalyptic novel before all this began. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not right now because that's too much. So I think this could be interesting. It looks like it could be interesting. It does have the potential of being just a tad too much and a bit too dark for me right in this moment. So we'll see. Also, I don't have Apple TV. I guess I should get Apple TV. All of this stuff is coming out. This foundation... Finch, which we're talking about in a minute. Should I get Apple TV? Already too many streaming things. Buy the cheapest Apple product you can find and you'll get it for free for a year, I think. They just throw it at you when you buy an Apple product. I'll never buy an Apple product. I don't want to use any of their stuff, but you can. My partner has an iPhone, so I guess, I suppose, I'm with you. On principle, I refuse. (laughs) (laughs) We're obstinate Android people to the end. (laughs) That's it. Android and Windows. I'll die on that hill. Absolutely, same. (laughs) I'm not cool enough for Apple, clearly. (laughs) They don't want anything to do with me. I don't want anything to do with them. It's a good arrangement that we have. Yeah. As you said, we're talking about Finch now, which is, again, post-apocalyptic, but it looks like it's a bit more hopeful. Tom Hanks builds a robot and he has a dog and they go on adventures or something. It looks like it could have a lot of nice messaging about hope and companionship and... All that stuff. I do like the look of this a lot. It does. It looks great. Castaway, but post-apocalypse. Why do you have this tendency, Tom Hanks, to just be the last one left somewhere? (laughs) Sucks to be Tom Hanks, man. (laughs) It looks cuter than any post-apocalyptic thing has any right to be. That robot I will die to protect, and also the dog is cute, so... Yes, I think I will definitely be watching this at some point. That's really all I can say about it. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> yeah it's fine. a good trailer. It's a pretty good trailer. It does look yeah. good, yeah. Okay, up next, Nightmare Alley, a Guillermo del Toro thing. I think this looks great. The trailer is a collection of stuff, so it doesn't give you a really good idea of what to expect necessarily, but looks visually incredible, as all his stuff does, and really creepy in a way that enticed me. So I do want to see this, but I want to see anything yeah. he makes, so... That's fine. Yeah, very with you on that. I don't necessarily, and we we had this conversation right before we started recording, but I don't usually worship blindly at the altar of any director. But I haven't seen a Guillermo del Toro thing I haven't liked yet. So that's a pretty good, not necessarily guarantee, but it's a promise. I tend to vibe with his stuff. And this is very much the same here for it. Bradley Cooper, sure. I guess he just seems like an unlikely kind of actor to see in something like this, I suppose. I don't know why. It's not like he hasn't. He's rocket, for heaven's sake. It's not like he doesn't do sci-fi. But yeah, it's just kind of like, oh, hello. All right, I suppose. We'll see. And also, I'm here for Kate Blanchett. Anything, anytime, anywhere. Yes, please. Yes, queen. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, we'll both be watching this. I haven't seen any... Del Toro stuff that I've disliked either. I've seen a couple of stuff he produced that I didn't like very much. Like Mama, I think it was called. I wasn't so keen on that. Oh yeah, no, me neither. I remember that. Mm. So there's been a couple of things he's produced. And I read an interview with him recently where he was talking about how he's written so much over the years that never got made. And it got reported as if, look at this travesty. But how many writer-directors write stuff that will never get made? Isn't that just what they do? That's it's kind of part of the business, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of screenwriters, they come up with some amazing stuff, treatments and even entire scripts, and maybe they get sold and maybe they start development and then it just never ends up happening. That's just Hollywood for you. It's kind of crazy. And it just kind of shows how little people 
understand the business of making films. I'm not surprised to hear that, but it does make me sad because I am sure that there's some great ideas that just kind of, once that dies in development, that's kind of it. You can't redo it unless the rights revert or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, it's difficult. His version of At the Mountains of Madness, for example, will never see the light of day, most likely. So that's a big loss for all of us. Hmm. His Lovecraftian horror get to see his take on Cthulhu and stuff. We're just never going to get to see that, most likely. It's a crime. It really is. Whatever studio decided that they weren't going to make it his way, it's a crime. But never mind. Mm. We'll just have to move on with our lives and get on with it. West Side Story is up next. It's not really in the wheelhouse of nerdy stuff, but it's a Spielberg movie. And I do quite like musicals. I don't know anything about West Side Story, so I don't know any of the songs, which is a bit of a barrier for entry I guess unless they're going to be catchy enough for me to enjoy them on their own wait how there's so many of these songs that you will have heard just by osmosis okay well I can't think of anything I associate with West Side Story off the top of my head in America all right is that that okay interesting that's West Side Story okay and obviously the song in the trailer tonight tonight I didn't recognize that one yeah oh man I am a theater kid I have never seen West Side Story but I feel like I know all of the songs. My main comment, it looks great. It does. It looks perfectly impressive and competent and blockbuster and all the rest of it. My main question is, why are we giving Ansel Elgort more work? Can we not give him more work? Was it not very strange for everyone involved to go on set every day and be like, hmm, this guy blackmailed underaged girls on social media Yeah, it's dodgy. And pushed himself on them, but let's give him a job, sure. At this point, my (laughs) threshold for this is low. I like him, he's a good actor, but also he's a... Why? Why? Just why? Ansel Elgort, completely aside, this looks like perhaps the first good Spielberg movie in a few years for me, in my opinion. You mean you didn't love Ready Player One? It was okay. Oh, that's a higher praise than I expected. Well, it's because the book is garbage <laughs> and the film was above garbage. So when the bar is that low, you'll take what you can get. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, I haven't enjoyed a Spielberg movie since probably Catch Me If You Can, which was a very long time ago now. So yeah, I don't know. I probably won't watch this, I have to say, just because it's going to be difficult to switch off from knowing what Elgort has done and then just being like, oh, but look at this cute boy doing cute boy things. I don't know that I can right now anyway. And so we'll see if someday I end up watching this. But right now I kind of have no plans to. Sure. Quite like the BFG. That was okay. Spielberg movie. Mm. And it was a while ago now, but Bridge of Spies was quite good. Oh, I really disliked that. (laughs) I don't remember why I liked it. I only saw it once, but I did quite enjoy it. And I'm sure if I had to think about it, I could think of other more recent Spielberg stuff that I warmed to a little bit. But yeah, this, I probably will see it because I I do enjoy a musical and I'll be going in a bit blind, even though I'll maybe pipe up when I hear a song that I'm like, okay, that's where this is from. Because I don't associate those songs. One of them that you sang for me, which was glorious, was one I recognised, obviously. But the other one, the one that's in the trailer, I don't. So Hmm. somehow I've managed to avoid quite a lot of this. Very impressive. Burying your head in the sand has its advantages. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Got a couple of video games next. There was a PlayStation showcase where they showed some games that are coming out. And most of them were 
it has to be said, fairly underwhelming. But there are two that caught my eye. One of them, Spider-Man 2, the sequel to the Insomniac Spider-Man game and the Insomniac Miles Morales Spider-Man game. And in this game, it looks like you get to play as both of them. The villains will include Craven Hunter and Venom, voiced by Tony Todd, which I am really excited about. I love that game. I love the story. I thought it was one of the best Spider-Man stories we'd seen in a long time. And that includes anything they've done in the MCU. I think the video game version of Peter Parker is more in line with what I want from the character. Mm. And I cannot wait to play this. 2023 (laughs) cannot come soon enough for that video game. It looks great. And the trailer is not really any gameplay in it. It's just a bit of a tease, but You've already got my attention. You proved yourself with two games so far. So this one, unlikely to be crap. I thought of you when I saw the trailer. (laughs) I know how much you liked the first one, and I tuned into your Twitch to watch you play a little bit a while ago. I'm good at it as well. I'm very good at it. I got really (laughs) good at it. I've started it on the PS5, but I'm not super good at it. The swinging is a little bit of a challenge (laughs) for me, I have to say. And so I haven't played it all the way through. I do know a bit about the plot, though, and Miles Morales, too. And so it's great to see the story continue in a very natural way. It just looks bigger, better. Let's go, Spider-Man. I'm really looking forward to seeing Peter and Miles working together, actually. I think that's going to be a very interesting part of the story definitely here for that yeah bummer that we have to wait till 2023 yeah but take your time get it right don't rush it that is true that's true you don't want anything too fast and not finished so for sure don't release an unfinished unplayable mess give us the full experience and i'm sure they will yeah yeah the thing about playing as both peter and miles is interesting because in the miles morales game he has more abilities So from a gameplay perspective, Miles is more interesting to play as because you've got his Venom Blast, which you you electrocute people by punching them and stuff, and his cloaking abilities as well, which gives you a little more to play with, whereas Peter has more just traditional gadgets and stuff. Miles has less gadgets, but more abilities. So I wonder if they'll compensate for that in some way, where it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting to play as Peter as well from a gameplay point of view because he'll have stuff that Miles doesn't and you will want to play as both rather than, come on, I just want to play as Miles again because he's so much cooler. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I really hope that they master that and get the balance right. Again, I'm sure they will. They have earned my faith in their ability to both create an engaging gameplay experience and tell a great story. So this is something that I'm super hyped for. It's something I will allow myself to be super hyped for. Video games. Fun. I do them sometimes. Whee! <laughs> I've been getting into video games more in the last couple of years and since getting together with my partner who has all of the consoles, um, <laughs> I get to play games now. This is the most action-based game that I would be into because it is quite story-forward. Because for me, stories are more important in my experience of the game than getting to shoot things or getting to punch things. So my favorite genre is like indie story-based games, narrative style, not necessarily super challenging on the gameplay. I play Spider-Man on super easy. (laughs) That should give you an idea. I play it on the top difficulty because I actually got really good at it. But I don't usually with games, usually on games, I'll play it on normal and experience it. But with Spider-Man, I don't know, I was so captivated by it that I ended up, I played it on normal the first time. And then ever since then, I've played it on the top difficulty level. And when I started Miles, When I bought that, I played it just on the top difficulty level immediately. Or the top one, you actually unlock the top difficulty level. So the second from top one. But I didn't struggle with it because I was already really familiar with the mechanics of the other one. 
So it wasn't too much of a learning curve in that respect. So, yeah, it's one of the few games that I can just play at that level. Spider-Man, I'm always going to be interested in Spider-Man, and I'm so glad they made, to me, one of the more definitive versions. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Up next is another video game. It's Insomniac again. They're making a Wolverine one. It's a CGI trailer, so there's not much to go on. It just points out, here's Wolverine, and he'll be in a video game. And again, it's Insomniac. They make great Spider-Man games, so they're probably going to make a great Wolverine game based on that. So again, it has my attention. Yeah, same. I don't think that we have so much to go on from this one teaser. No, definitely not. So we'll see where they take it. But I will say that Wolverine is one of my favorite characters. It'll be very interesting to see a whole game just for him. Yeah, finally, man. (laughs) There's one on the PS3 based on the first Wolverine movie, which a lot of people hate. That's actually very good. I hated it, yes. Okay. (laughs) But the game is very good because it is just Wolverine. You go around and you slash things and people and everything in your path. So it's what you want from a Wolverine game, basically. You can't ask for much more than that. So we'll see what Insomniac's take on him is. I'll be watching Mm. intently to see how it goes. Okay, we're going back to movies now. Let's talk about Ron's Gone Wrong, which is a 20th century studios animated film about a kid that gets a defective last year's model, whatever, robot, where everybody has robots. They've replaced smartphones in this world in a way. They make friends with their little robots. I think this looks great. It touches on some interesting themes, loneliness, addiction to technology, social pressures to remain current, and loving what you have instead of what you want as well. Taking the time to understand people, even if there's an effort involved in understanding them, and even if it's uncomfortable at first to take that step with them. I talked about the first trailer for this with Andrew a few months ago, and this one gives you a lot more of that. It gives you an idea of, yeah, this is what we're going for, and we're going to present it in a really digestible for young viewers sort of way. But it looks like they're not shying away from the complexity of these points that they're making as well. I think this looks excellent. I think as far as kids' movies go, this looks on the upper half or maybe top quarter of things. I enjoy something that's original and it's got a little bit of spunk and a little bit of heart to it. And this looks like it. I really enjoyed Mitchell's versus the Machines, I think it's called. I haven't seen that. Yeah. It's a Netflix movie. Of course I've not seen it. (laughs) But it is the people behind Spider-Verse and that should give you a sense of the animation style is quirky and just a great film all around. Great for kids, great for everybody. So this kind of has vibes of that, but perhaps a little less, a little subdued. I don't know that I'm super excited for it, but I think I will be watching it. I like this kind of movie more so than not. So chances are the film will be better than the trailer. Fair enough. Okay, let's move on to Edgar Wright's next movie, Last Night in Soho. Talked about the first trailer for this a few months ago. I forget who with. Might have been Angus. I think it was Angus. Doesn't matter. Looks really good. This second trailer gives you a bit more of a sense of what's going on while still keeping a bit of mystery. It's a good horror time travel mashup by the looks of things. It looks great. Looks a bit magical as well. It's got a great cast. I'm already keen on Edgar Wright's stuff. I tend to enjoy his movies most of the time, so... Yeah, sign me up for this. It's not long until it's out as well. And yeah, I'm looking Mm -hmm. forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. This looks awesome. I'm very here for it. Very my jam in terms of, ooh, let's take this surface level. Like, oh, this looks 
like it could be something to know this is bonkers. <laughs> Very here for that. And visually as well, it just looks great. It's interesting, the mishmash of timelines, having the 60s in there, it was a very different time in terms of just fashion and hair and that sort of thing. And again, kind of bringing back that like neon lighting and like sharp contrast thing that's quite in vogue right now in cinema. I just think, yeah, it looks beautiful and potentially a little creepy. Matt Smith was a, <laughs> a villain, maybe? Okay. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> Certainly a creep. Certainly a creep, absolutely. So yeah, I absolutely will be watching this. I haven't seen an Edgar Wright film I haven't enjoyed immensely. His stats are good in my book. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that was succinct, cool. Next up we have Don't Look Up, which is a film about an asteroid hitting the Earth, and the trailer features a minute of Leonardo DiCaprio breathing heavily, mostly. <laughs> I like Adam McKay movies, <laughs> or McKay, however you pronounce them. I like his movies for the most part. I thought Vice was very good. The Big Short was very good. So I have no reason to doubt that this will be good. And it's out on Christmas Eve, or at least that's the release date according to the trailer. So nothing says Christmas cheer like an asteroid hitting the Earth, does it? <laughs> Yeah, it's so interesting, just tonally. <laughs> yeah. It's it's presented very much like a comedy, but the scenario is not what you would consider typically something funny, or at least it hasn't historically been the asteroid heading to Earth concept has not been presented as something that's hilarious. And so... Not intentionally, anyway. We've all seen no, Armageddon. No, sure. I mean, listen, I'll defend Armageddon. I love myself a cheesy... It's cheesy as hell. I don't care. <laughs> but no, yeah, this is different. <laughs> this is definitely something different. And yeah, like you say, I also really enjoyed The Big Short. I enjoyed Vice. I've seen Anchorman. That was quite good. It's just an interesting approach to it. So very up for it, I think. Anytime that there's something like this that's original and new... That could be very good. And also, hey, Jennifer Lawrence, you've been nowhere for the last few years. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it to some degree. Mm. Speaking of stuff hitting the earth, Moonfall, another Roland Emmerich <laughs> disaster movie. It's about the moon hitting the earth for some reason. I don't really have much to say on it based on the trailer. It looks like, like his usual fare, which is fine, shallow, but fun stuff. I tend to enjoy his movies. Other than The Day After Tomorrow, I don't really want to talk about that one very much. But I like 2012, Independence Day, I do think is a classic. I love Independence Day. I'm sure this will be watchable at least once. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of looks bonkers in the best kind of way. There's a couple of unexplained things from the trailer that I'm really interested in. Less so the genuine disaster part of it, where it's Roland Emmerich, it's landmarks going up in water and flame and ice, I don't know, just kind of what we've grown to expect. But the stuff that's in space, and it seems like there's something that's a little more sinister than perhaps just the moon falling. Something has to cause it. Well, it seems like there's something moving of its own accord in shapes that aren't just falling. It's not just random. There seems to be some kind of purpose to the movement. Aliens, question mark, probably. That's the bit that really sparked my interest. But also the visuals, it really just shows how far we've come in terms of VFX. Just the imagery in this trailer. Holy cow. The kind of stuff that even the day after tomorrow and films like that, which have aged okay, I think. Mm -hmm. Leaps and bounds. We've just come so far. The kind of stuff that we're able to just make now is kind of crazy. So... 
yeah, I will definitely be watching this at some point. It looks like there's something a little more under the hood that is presented. So kind of curious about it. Yeah, I'll watch it because I do like disaster movies, Roland Emmerich disaster movies as well. He does a good job with them. He knows what he's good at and does it quite well. So it's fine. (laughs) Okay, back to Netflix again. Red Notice, which is The Rock, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot doing a heist-type thing. I can't say this grabbed me too much. It's The Rock being The Rock, doing rock stuff again. Ryan Reynolds is just playing Deadpool. Gal Gadot's being Gal Gadot. She does what she does. They're stealing stuff. They're bantering. They're doing stuff. It will probably be fine. Yeah, that's the vibe I got. It's the perfect kind of popcorn film. You know, some days you just want to kick back, make some popcorn put it on your big TV and just not think for a minute. And it's probably going to be at least a B plus. I don't see anything that I would necessarily immediately dislike about this. I love The Rock being The Rock. I love Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds. Sure. But I will admit that my first reaction to special agent, blah, 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 which is the first line of the trailer is like, oh, God, okay. (laughs) I think there's a list of archetypes of maybe four or five different, just a roster of character archetypes that the rock gets cast as it's fine it's okay which is eh, i don't know not necessarily where my head is at right at this moment yeah it'll probably be fine <laughs> if you squint it's just another fast and furious spin-off kind of <laughs> yeah they've all been in it so if you squint that'll be it similar enough has I ryan reynolds been in fast and furious yeah he was in hobbs and show oh interesting see i haven't seen so many of them so i'm like wait what I personally wouldn't recommend it. Was Gal Gadot in one of them? She's in, I don't know how many she's in. At least two, maybe three. Really? Yeah. What? Yeah. That's where she got her start, I guess. I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm very out of the loop on the Fast and Furious franchise. Well, my view is you're not missing much. It's not a popular (laughs) view, I guess. Lots of people love them. They have, after all, made 10 of them. So therefore... There is an audience there. But yes, this is not a Fast and Furious movie. It's some heist movie that's starring Mm. people that were in Fast and Furious movies playing characters that are probably pretty close to the characters that were playing in those movies. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. If that's your bag, then go for it. It'll be on Netflix at some point. (laughs) Next up, we have a very, very short clip, and we're talking like 12 seconds of Peacemaker, the spin-off of Suicide Squad, John Cena playing the Peacemaker character. You get to see him get out of his car, that's draped in the American flag and he sits down in a diner wearing his costume and it looks like it'll be a blast because it's John Cena playing that character and we already know he's great at it. I know a couple of tidbits about the show itself. There's going to be a version of the character Vigilante, which is hilarious in a universe full of vigilantes. Someone goes by Vigilante. That's his name. There was a version of that character on Arrow, so this one will probably be a lot different, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to the show. I think the Peacemaker character was great in Suicide Squad, so seeing more of them, to me, can only be a good thing. I was kind of surprised with how quickly we got there. <laughs> I think we were just talking about The Suicide Squad not very long ago, and suddenly there's already like a TV series. My God, that was quick. I'm also not surprised, given that the post credit sting or whatever was very clearly a setup. Dude's not dead. For the thing they've already filmed, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. He was an enjoyable part of that movie, so here for (laughs) John Cena just having fun. So, yeah, let's see where this goes. Yeah. Okay, next up we have a trailer for Injustice, the Red Band trailer, because it's going to be an adult cartoon rather than a kiddie cartoon starring superheroes. So the Injustice movie is based on the Injustice video games where Superman goes nuts and 
all the Justice League have to fight them and they get imbued with magical stuff so they can punch them or radiation or something. I can't remember the ins and outs, but it's essentially just a setup so that Superman turns evil. And I talked about this on the Superman and Lois podcast with Chris. I hate evil Superman stories. Really hate them because it's just boring. Same with evil Star Trek. I don't want evil Star Trek. I want good Star Trek and I want good Superman. It does seem like they've expanded the story a bit to justify how he goes over the edge. But the idea that he just gets pushed over the edge and goes too far. Can't Superman just be incorruptible? Looking at a similar setup, when they did Crisis on Infinite Earths, Brandon Routh played a version of Superman that had lost Lois because the Joker killed her and everyone else that he cared about at that point. And he didn't turn evil as a result. He grieved and got on with it. It's evil Superman. I'm sure the animated film will be cool and there'll be some cool action stuff in it and Anson Mount's voicing Batman, which will be great. The voice cast are great, but evil Superman. I can't get past how much I hate evil Superman. I didn't like the look of this. The animation just doesn't look great. I'm just really not interested. And also, we'll agree with you, evil Superman is just not interesting to me. I don't think it's as subversive as they think it is. No, it's not. Not at all. I just think they have the sense that, oh, what if we took the ultimate good guy, but we made him evil because he lost people. And like, okay, great. Let's fridge Lois so that we can give him a sense of purpose and a reason to go evil. It's just boring stuff. It's tropey in the worst possible way. Yes, tropes exist and they can be fun to use. But how is this new or interesting? Fridging a female character to give the male character some man pain that he has to work through (laughs) and give us conflict. It's just boring. It just is. So, yeah, not interested in this one, I have to say. Very with you on that. Reasonable setup for a video game as a story to watch. We'll see. Potentially. I just think we're kind of over stories like this. I just think we're done with this kind of thing. I don't know if that makes sense, but do you have nothing else to say? (laughs) (laughs) Can we have one character that's just good all the time? Doesn't matter what happens to him. He's just a good person. Can't we have this? That's who he is. Yeah. It's kind of the same problem that I have with a lot of the DCEU stuff, like the Superman in Justice League and so on. I'm just, eh, eh. Can't be bothered. Can't be bothered with this. Yeah. Okay, we're in agreement then. Well, I'll still watch it. Mm-hmm. Staying on the animation trail, but moving over to Marvel, we have Hitmonkey, which is something I know absolutely nothing about. It's a corner of the Marvel Universe I know zero about. The animation style looks cool. It's got a good voice cast. Not really sure what to make of it beyond that, but yeah, okay. It's an obscure thing that you're playing with. Why not? The animation really puts me off this one. It looks cheap. The frame rate is all wrong. It just looks like there's missing frames and stuff. And I understand that that's the style, but I don't like it. So I'm not keen on this. Will not be watching. Don't like the look of it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. I probably won't watch it either. It seems that the Hulu stuff has sort of stay away from where Marvel's concerned. But cool, you're making it. So why not? Go for it. You've got the property. It's yours to play with. So we're staying with Marvel now. Hawkeye got a trailer for the Disney Plus show that it's debuting in the middle of, at the end of November. And I like this. It looks really good. Introduction of Kate Bishop, Haley Steinfeld's Kate Bishop. It looks like she'll be a lot of fun. It looks like one of the themes of the show is going to be about reclaiming humanity and the consequences of him going on a murder spree for five years after losing his family during the snap or the blip or whatever you want to call it these days. So it looks like there'll be a bit of that. Funnily enough, it's a similar theme that another arrow-wielding character had in a TV show. 
in Arrow, it's largely about him reclaiming his humanity. That's mm. the journey he's on. So it's a similar-ish thing here. But I quite like the idea of the darkness of the five years that he spent on this murder spree, contrasting the warmth and positivity of Christmas. And then you have like Avengers, the stage musical in the background somewhere, which is something I'll be really interested to see them cut to at some point. So I like the look of this show. I'm really looking forward to seeing how they do that. And the Kate Bishop character in the comics is very good. It's based on that celebrated Matt Fraction run of Hawkeye that everybody, including me, loves. We'll see how heavily based, because MCU stuff tends to be loosely based on these types of things. But mm-hmm. it's a good source to draw from and it could be good fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it looks unexpectedly fun. I didn't think this was what Hawkeye the show was going to be. I don't read the comics, so I don't really know what to expect from Kate Bishop and stuff. But I think the tone of the trailer, at least, was like, oh... Okay. Um, Interesting. Sure. It made me a little more interested in the show than I was before it, I have to say. (laughs) No one's favorite Avenger, etc. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I just can't say that Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye is like, I kind of wanted him to die in Endgame, in all honesty. (laughs) The fact that he didn't, and he's still around, I'm just, I don't care. (laughs) I just really wasn't expecting it to be kind of fun looking. And once again, with the Marvel TV shows so far, I was skeptical about all of them going in. And so far, they've all impressed me. So I'm open to Hawkeye also being an outside left field. Okay, actually, this could be good type thing. Excited to maybe replace Jeremy Renner. That might be fun. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's what we've talked about across all the podcasts that we did on various Marvel shows is the phase four stuff, or at least some of it's about legacy and it's about passing on mantles, perhaps. So it's someone else is going to be Hawkeye after this, maybe. Or maybe Jeremy Renner will hang around. Who knows? But certainly Kate Bishop will go forward from here and do stuff. And she'll be a fixture of the universe in the future. The comic, one of the jokes says there is room for more than one Hawkeye, because there is. Mm. But I do think that Haley Steinfeld's Kate Bishop will be a major fixture of what they do in the future. And this will be setting that up. But it seems like it's giving him a resolution in a lot of ways as well. And I do like that they're not just brushing over the fact that he probably killed hundreds of people across those five years. It's something he's dealing with. And that's ultimately the potential of these TV shows is to cover that period of time and explore the impact of it. Because otherwise it's just a thing that happened that they never reference again in a future film. So this is ample opportunity to just go deep into it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's the kind of stuff that I'm very here for because I'm not super familiar with it. Some of the stuff in What If has been like that as well. Shang-Chi too. Things that I'm super not familiar with that has great potential. So, yeah. Yeah. Watch the space. Watch for coverage on the website, etc, etc. So, yes. Okay, we did it. We got through all the trailers. That's every trailer. Amazing. We did it. Well done. What we're going to do, or what I'm going to do, I'm going to hop into the transporter room and beam Chris aboard against his will. I'm not going to warn him. He's just going to appear. And we're going to talk about Star Trek while you have a break. So we're going to do that. (laughs) So let's just beam Chris in. Energizing. Chris, I'm sorry for the unscheduled beam out, but we need to talk about Star Trek. It's urgent. I didn't have time to warn you. I was in the middle of using the toilet. You really need to pick your beaming moments better.
I told you, if Arjun, <laughs> I don't make the rules. Star Trek Day was at least two weeks ago. We have to talk about it right now. <laughs> rule. So since you're here, we might as well talk about Star Trek. Yeah, why not? There's three things to discuss, really. Well, we could go through the whole presentation, the whole three, four-hour presentation of Star Trek Day if you want, but we'll focus in on the actual footage that we got. Yeah, let's focus on the, the nuggets, shall we? Yes, let's do it. So there was a lot of good stuff during Star Trek Day. If you haven't, go on StarTrek.com or Star Trek International, whatever the website's called, and watch through it because there's some really cool stuff. Uh, Jeff Russo, the composer on Discovery, does a bunch of live music performances using an orchestra playing themes and so on, which is really good. They check in with actors and people that have been involved in Star Trek throughout. Good stuff. It's really fun and a very good dedication to the say the modern era of Star Trek. There was bits and pieces about the old era, but not as much. But it was a forward thinking, here's what we're doing next sort of idea. So if you haven't already, do check that out. Link will be in the show notes as to how to watch it. Live orchestra definitely sounds up my street. Yeah, you'd love it. Let's start off with the trailer for Star Trek Picard. What did you think of the trailer for season two of Star Trek Picard? I'm still not looking forward to this season, and I know they're trying really, really hard to reel me in. The last time, one of my problems was, let's go forward in time and see how some of your favourite characters are just really depressed and unhappy with their lot in life. (laughs) And this season... All it seems to be is, now let's go and see how the evil timeline version of these characters is doing. And I'm not really here for that, (laughs) if that's what the whole season's going to be. Do we not have enough bleak future gazing already? Do we need more bleak future gazing? I kind of want optimistic Star Trek. I don't want pessimistic Star Trek. I like how they're sort of playing about with Q in this. It's not silly Q. This is Q doing lessons, isn't it? This is Q trying to teach Picard something with a trial never end speech again. I'm not 100%. It's Q the malevolent trickster rather than Q the let's send them at Sherwood Forest because I'm bored. Mm. It's not the Lord X Q. Definitely not the Lord X Q. <laughs> or the sometimes next generation Q. It's the Q teaching lessons, as you say. This trailer didn't excite me either. There's a few red flags in there. You've got things like evil Star Trek, evil Federation, evil universe, which is boring. Like we talked about in the Superman podcast, we don't want to see evil Superman. Evil Superman's boring. We don't want to see evil Star Trek. Evil Star Trek's boring. And Patrick Stewart seems to have the wrong idea when he talks about, well, we couldn't make Next Generation now. The world of the 90s doesn't exist anymore. It's, well, it didn't exist then either. That's the point. <laughs> You're making a brighter future for people to aspire to. Not a, you know, the future is just going to be as depressing as this current timeline so why bother but there is an undercurrent of we need to bring hope back we need to bring light back so i guess the journey is let's restore the star trek of old which may or may not happen i don't know but i'm just not that excited it's funny how they're doing the standard star trek trend of let's go back in time to the period that the show is filmed (laughs) to save money the original series did it they went back in time to the 60s and then later the 80s voyager did it when they went back to the late 90s Enterprise did it where they went back in time to like 2004 or whatever in one episode. And now Picard's doing it by going back in time to, I presume now. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, maybe that's why I should be hopeful is that Picard is going to come back to our timeline and fix it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I immediately thought of a few things when seeing this trailer, namely episodes of The Next Generation, stuff like Tapestry, which is about the road not taken, making different choices, There's a bit of all good things, as in jumping around in different 
realities and continuities and exploring those. And it could be that there's a bit of a city on the edge of forever vibe where in order to solve the problem, Kirk had to let a horrible thing happen. So maybe Picard has to do the same thing to allow the Federation as he knows it to exist. Like maybe he has to let Trump get elected or something like that rather than stop it. I don't know. But could be that that's a lesson he has to learn again. But we've seen it all before, if that's the case. And it was done well back then. So, I don't know, give us something a bit different. Give us something a bit interesting. And maybe this will be all of that good stuff, but... The trailer doesn't entice me all that heavily. It's difficult because I'm, I'm going to end up contradicting myself. It's sometimes it can be interesting when they play with canon and storylines and paths not taken. The thing is, I don't really want to see an entire season of that. It's interesting when they play with it for a little episode and then at the end of the episode, everything's reset. But I'm not particularly wanting one of those to last an entire season's worth. It might not be the full season. It might only be a bit of the season. That's the thing about trailers is that it normally gives you sort of the beginning of a plot line. It's not going to give you the entire through story, I guess. The time travel mechanic that they're using in this case is more Borg stuff. In this case, a Borg queen. And I'm like, did we not do the Borg thing last season? Why are we doing more Borg? And also... Why are you going to make me feel sympathy for the Borg Queen? I can feel it in this as, like, the tortured Borg Queen. You even see little snippets of the trailer where folk are looking at the Borg Queen going, oh, no, what a shame. And I'm like, no, don't make me feel sympathy for the Borg Queen. Enough. Enough already. (laughs) Yeah, she's pure evil. Well, she's not pure evil. They're driven by their collective instinct or whatever. But, yes, the Borg Queen is unambiguously not a good thing to have around, so... (laughs) Sympathy for the board. Yeah. I mean, seven of nine, I suppose, we grew to be sympathetic towards her because she had her life stolen from her, etc., etc. But at the same time, the board queen has always been unambiguously a villain. Played by Anne Wershing. She seems like a decent choice. She's been a load of stuff. People have seen her in 24 and Timeless and other things. She's been in Star Trek before. She was in the episode Oasis in Enterprise's first season. Oh. If you don't remember it, don't worry, because it's <laughs> But she was in that. I do not remember the episode of Oasis. It's actually the one that the actor plays Odo's in, and the twist is that he's the only survivor and everyone else is holograms. Ah, okay. They think the ship's haunted or something like that, and it's it's not. It's holograms that are malfunctioning. It's not a great episode, but she was in that one. I don't even remember her in that episode. That's how memorable it is. But yes, it's a... She's she's good uh, from by all accounts. I haven't really seen her in much myself because I didn't really watch much of the shows that I listed. But people seem to like her, and sure, another actor playing the Borg Queen. We haven't had a bad Borg Queen actor yet. Susanna Thompson from Arrow, remember mm-hmm. her? She was uh, the Borg Queen, and Alice Creek. She was the Borg Queen as well. No, it's neat. I mean, taking the Borg Queen back to twenty first century Earth, what could possibly go wrong? Nothing. Perfect. Flawless plan. <laughs> No problems. Okay, let's move on. Star Trek Prodigy. It has a, another trailer. The trailer has John Noble's voice sounding very, very scary. Gives you a bit of insight into what the team dynamic's going to be a bit like. They're all a bunch of clueless young people, but they're all set for an adventure and they all seem gung-ho to take on the universe. And I love this trailer. I think it looks really good. It looks very swashbuckling. The characters look like a lot of fun. It looks like there's lessons to be learned. Kate Mulgrew, in her one line or two lines that she has in the trailer, is clearly hamming it up 
as Janeway or Janeway hologram, and she's loving it. So I'm excited for this. I think it's going to be everything I want it to be and more. It does look like a lot of fun. And we finally get to see a lot more of the characters than we've seen before. We've seen like little shots of them, but now getting to see them interact and their voices and stuff, it's definitely a lot better to pick up on. I think Murph might be my favourite, the sort of gelatinous creature. Voiced by D. Bradley Baker, who voices the clones in Clone Wars. Yeah, I noticed that. It almost looks like it's calling out for a kind of toy that... <laughs> The creature design on that. But yeah, it looks a ton of fun. You get a sort of, it's like a buggy chase that you're seeing in part of the trailer. That looks like a load of fun. That looks like something that you could turn into a ride. (laughs) I think it looks like it's going to be a bit more serious in inverted Mm. commas than Lower Decks is. Lower Decks is purposely larger than life and poking fun at the Star Trek universe in an affectionate way, whereas this looks like it's playing it a bit more straight. You'll know from the interviews I've done with various people that have written for animated shows geared at children, they talk about how the worst thing you can do is talk down to a younger audience because they can tell. They're not stupid. They're often smarter than adults. So if you talk down to them, they're going to turn off. They're not going to want to watch your thing. And it looks like this is not going to be insulting anybody's intelligence. So we're going to have a lot of fun with it. We're going to be imparting Star Trek values, but we're also going to tell you a story on your level, assuming you can understand it. And I think that's really promising. And I really hope that's what it ends up being, because if they're making a show that's a good entry point for young Star Trek viewers, but also something that people like us or people older than us even can watch and enjoy, then that's perfect. That's what we want, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Those kinds of shows with a message work perfectly that's the way to do it like you say don't talk down to the kids shoot upwards challenge and put out a positive message and i think starfleet's the perfect way of doing that teaching starfleet values to a new generation perfect delivery mechanism for doing that yeah and during the panel they talked about how there is character growth and character journeys and it is about them learning things and you see a bit of that in the trailer how it's the find the pew pew button and which is funny it's obviously bit silly because it gets away from the techno babble how do we fire the weapons mm-hmm. we don't know so part of it's going to be about learning how to pilot the ship and how to navigate their friendships with each other and relationships with each other and defeat this villain voiced by john noble just looks a ton of fun cannot wait october 28th can't wait to see this bring it on bring it on yeah blast up we did get a trailer for the mid-season of lower decks but the podcast will be out by the time it's pretty much finishing, so I didn't see any point in us discussing it. It looks a ton of fun, just stupid stuff happening in the trailer, really, which you would expect, but I'm not going to discuss it. Let's move on to Strange New Worlds, though. We get a featurette for that that introduces us to much of the main cast. So we've got Pike and Spock, which we already know about, Una slash number one, who has a full name now, Una Chin Riley, canon full name, never had that before. In fact, I don't think that was ever her name in any of the books that she was in and there was weird stuff people would just make stuff up and they wrote her <laughs> history in the novels that were set on pike's enterprise she's like genetically enhanced or she's a perfect specimen of an alien species or something like that in one of the books i read i can't remember the exact ins and outs but she isn't human whereas in strange new worlds i believe she is well she did drop that line of she's more complex than you think Ooh. yes <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> yeah. But we have a familiar face or a couple of familiar faces on the crew in terms of characters, not in terms of actors. We have Ahura. Cadet Ahura is going to be on the Enterprise. And they might do a riff on this, the romance that 
their alternate universe Kelvinverse counterparts have in the films. They might not, but Spock and Uhura on the Enterprise at the same time is an interesting one. That gives you something to play with there. And if you think that the romance is only exclusive to the Kelvin timeline movies, it's not the case. They were quite flirtatious in a couple of episodes of the original series. So there's canon precedent for that in case people are worried about people messing with it. But she's there, which leads me to think we're going to see a few more familiar faces. Maybe we'll get Lieutenant Kirk show up on the Farragut if they rendezvous with that at some point. Or Scotty will turn up in the engine room. There was a novel I read, a Pike Enterprise set novel, where it was Scotty's first days on the Enterprise and he was brewing hooch in the engine room and stuff <laughs> like that. So do that story. I want to see that. That'd be very cool. A young Scotty just making his own alcohol. <laughs> I'm the same as you. I do suspect that they might drip feed in some characters or have them appear for an episode or crossing over in some way or paths cross in some way. I'd be really surprised if they don't do that, to be honest. I've not watched all of the original series to my shame so i don't have the same background knowledge as yourself and i've not read a lot of the novelization stuff either but ahura and spock being on the same ship you'd think they're going to play about with it a little bit they're either going to tease it but it's not going to happen or they're going to go fully in excuse the expression (laughs) they're going to go all (laughs) in there we go (laughs) (laughs) well there's a character with a Curious name, Noonien Singh, as her surname, which is the same name that Khan has as his surname. Suspicious much. Wonder what that means. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I have no idea. It could be a red herring, and I kind of hope it is, because I, know, I just can't imagine how they would do that. That would be any good, but we'll see. I don't know why you would put the surname in as a red herring, you know what I mean? It seems like something that you would put in on purpose. Yeah. But with Spock around, he'd never heard of Khan before they discovered him and all that stuff. Mm. So be careful, writers. Just be careful. Because you know what will happen if you mess with canon. The Discovery teaching nothing. <laughs> I don't care about the look of the ship and all that stuff. I just don't care. But the Discovery teaching nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People will not stand for this. Not that that should fuel your creative process in any way, but be ready, yeah. I guess. Dr. Mbenga, who is a character that was in the original series as well, is around. So looks like a decent cast. I'm surprised that we didn't get any actual footage of the show itself other than the, here's this character, and then you see clearly a clip of them just turning around or whatever. Uh, Christine Chappell's there, again. She's an original series character who's played by Major Barrett, just as number one used to be. So it's funny how you've got two characters played by two different actors that were once played by the same actor. So that's an interesting little meta-textual thing in there. I wonder if they'll have a scene where they talk about how they have the same hair or something like that, just to punctuate that a bit, just to give us a bit of a laugh about it. Or one of them's got to go in disguise as the other for a mission or something. Yeah, I mean, they don't look anything alike, those two actors, but still, they could do a nod to it at some point. Could be fun. Mm. They tend to do little in-jokes like that, so we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, fun times. Lots of cool Star Trek stuff coming up in the future. Cannot yeah. wait. As I've said before, the Brand New World stuff is what I'm looking forward to the most. Or Brand New Worlds. Why do I keep saying that? Strange New Worlds is (laughs) the one that I'm looking forward to the most out of all of them at the moment. As much as Prodigy does look like it might be a load of fun and really interesting to watch, Strange New Worlds is well up there. I'm pegging a lot of hopes on this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they did make the point about episodic storytelling and how that was different to what they'd done before. And it was Rebecca Romain during the panel that talked about how filming episodic 
stuff was different because she wasn't used to it in the Star Trek context. I imagine she's been used to doing episodic stuff in her past whenever she was on television or whatever. But in the case of being on Star Trek, she hadn't been used to that because during Discovery, it was one ongoing story. She wasn't in very much of that season, though. But at the same time, it's a different feel, I guess. And I'd be interested to see if they can actually do episodic storytelling because we've seen no evidence of this, really, in the other shows, other than Lower Decks, which is episodic with ongoing mm. character stuff. So that's your template, I suppose. But it'll be interesting to see if, if they can go back to that episodic storytelling but do a modern spin on it, which is the characters remember what happened last week and can maybe talk about it, but we're doing something else this week sort of set up. Like you say, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to pull that off. They did it pretty well towards the end of some of the things like Deep Space Nine and some aspects of Voyager managed to handle it. It'll be interesting to see if they do it with this. But yeah, like I say, putting a lot of hopes on this one. <laughs> Don't let me down. Yeah, and Enterprise did a lot with Oh yeah, of course, Enterprise. In yeah. years as well, but yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out and we'll soon find out. Next year, we'll see the show and that'll be that. That was it. That was all I had for Star Trek. So I can beam you back so you can do whatever you were doing and I can get back to talking to Kat about the other stuff. Say hi to Kat for me. I will. Thank you for joining. You're welcome. Energising. So that was Star Trek. Thank you, Chris, for, well, not consenting, just rolling with it when I invaded your day. Kat, welcome back. Chris says hi. He instructed me to say hi, so I'm doing that. I'm telling you hi from Chris. (laughs) Hello, Chris. (laughs) So we're on to some news items, so we'll start with the pillars. We go through all the pillars and we're going to start with Marvel. There's going to be a big day on Disney Plus. Friday the 12th of November is going to be Disney Plus Day, which is when Shang-Chi will appear on the platform. And there's going to be a bit of a fan celebration, which will include a featurette that talks of looking to the future of some sort. So I don't know if they'll give us some footage of She-Hulk, Ms. Marvel, Moon Knight, Secret Invasion, those kinds of things. But it's a special, a special that they're doing. So I'm always going to be excited about seeing future stuff. And it's interesting that they're just making a... It's probably going to be a pretty half-baked, very loosely, quickly edited together documentary-style look to the future. But at the same time, that's kind of exciting in itself. So that's cool. Mm. And Shang-Chi will be free if you subscribe to Disney Plus on that day as well. So that's a very quick turnaround. Yeah, indeed. And especially for places like the UK, where there's a lot of things in place where the home entertainment turnover i think there's a minimum amount of weeks and this is definitely shorter than that so that's very interesting i wonder how they got that to happen yeah so we'll see if we get some footage and that's that not really got much more to say on it i just thought i would mention it Mm, yeah the next couple of news items are more talking about what might not happen rather than what will happen for spider-man no way home andrew garfield is still denying that he's in it and he was interviewed by variety for something else for Tick Tick Boom, I believe it was, plus some other stuff he's in. And he had some stuff to say, because of course they asked him, are you in the Spider-Man movie? I'm going to start by saying, I'm assuming he's lying here because he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Because if he says, I'm not allowed to talk about it, the report becomes, Andrew Garfield's in it, but he's not talking about it. Whereas if he denies it, the report is, he's denying it, but we think he's lying. And that's what I'm saying. There's some quotes from him that make me think that he's being a bit too evasive. He says, I understand why people are freaking out about the concept of that because I'm a fan as well. You can't help but imagine scenes and moments of 
Oh my God, how effing cool would it be if they did that? He says, Andrew Garfield's swearing. Peter Parker swearing. Shocking. <laughs> but it's important for me to say on the record that it's not something I am aware I am involved in. Wouldn't you be aware you're involved in it? Who That's would know? a strange way to phrase it, yeah. <laughs> but I know I'm not going to be able to say anything that will convince anyone that I don't know what's happening. No matter what I say, I'm effed. It's either going to be really disappointing for people or it's going to be really exciting. I do think those words are very carefully chosen. Until I watch the film and he isn't in it. I'm going to assume he's lying. That's up to me. I can do that. I agree. And this may be wishful thinking, right? But when all of those casting news was coming out, all of the Spider-Man will be in it. All of the villains will be in it. Everybody's in it. Multiverse (laughs) commence. Frankly, that sounds great. I'm interested in that movie. Now, we've seen the trailer and we have some information, but not all information about who's in it, who's not in it, what direction they're taking it in. So we'll see, but I'm hoping that all the Spider-Man are in it. I just kind of really want Maguire and Garfield and Holland to all be in it. I think that would be really cool. <laughs> but if perhaps they're just doing the villain thing, that's also valid, I guess, just a little less cool. Here's the thing, though. After so long of having that hyped in our direction, even though no one's ever confirmed anything, it's sort of gained arms and legs and it's snowballed so completely on its own that if it ends up not being that, imagine the wide-scale disappointment there's going to be Or imagine it does happen and it's just one scene or something. I think there's a lot of weird side expectations attached to this film that might not be fair at this point, because what you'll have is he just fights Doc Ock. That's all he ever fights. And the Green Goblin, as the trailer shows you, then there's no other Spider-Man in it. Then people come out being like, well, that was crap. We were promised this. And you weren't. At no point did anybody at Marvel, Sony, or even the actors playing or not playing these roles tell you that this was happening but people will still manufacture that disappointment anyway and it'll probably take a couple of years for people to revisit the film and then think about it more objectively but at the same time if i go and see this film and they've managed to not put these actors in trailers before then if i go see this film and they're not in it i will be a little bit disappointed after all this because it's the one opportunity we had to see this and it'll never come again probably it's hard to get away from that and i think it does add a lot of weight to the film that's unfair on it at this point because of what people have inferred so far. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think so far, generally, Disney has very good trailer game and Marvel has had very good trailer game generally. They've been great about teasing the right kind of thing, but then also leaving big surprises for the actual movie going experience so great poker face game on andrew garfield if that's <laughs> can't the be case. easy if he's actually in this movie it's gonna be like well damn andrew <laughs> you said the, the polar opposite of tom holland <laughs> can't keep a straight face to save his life and toby Maguire just gets away with it but just by not being accessible in any way nobody's talking to toby Maguire. <laughs> oh yeah it's an interesting one there's also supposed set leaks of him in costume but some say they're deep fake some say they're not actually deep faked so i don't even know what's real anymore it's like the matrix earlier what's real Hmm. we don't know anymore so we'll find out it's not that far away and there probably will be a trailer that shows at least one other spider-man in the film before then so the next thing that's not happening is that chloe bennett is not appearing as quake or daisy johnson in the secret invasion tv show it got to a point where she'd just been harassed so much that she had to speak about it am i assuming she's lying no, because I didn't ever assume that she would be in it in the first place. I don't think, other than Coulson appearing in What If that's set before he died, quote unquote, 
we'll see any Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. characters in MCU properties in the future, which is a shame as much as I would love to see that. I just don't think it's going to happen. She posted on Instagram, apparently. I have avoided saying anything like this in general on social media or whatever because I thought it would maybe just blow over, but it has not. I am in no way attached or involved even at all or a little bit, in the Secret Invasion Marvel series. I honestly don't even know really what that is. I am only coming on here to say this because it's gotten to the point where every day I'm getting hundreds of messages about this. I'm now just getting approached in person. Bennett went on to recount how one brazen individual approached her at Target earlier that day while she was in the middle of shopping for feminine products. Uh, A little inappropriate, she added, so I figured I would just clear the air. I have no involvement in that, and I'm sorry to break the news to you about that, but hopefully this puts that to rest. To be clear, I love the enthusiasm, and I know all your messages are out of such excitement, and it's from such a pure place. I appreciate everyone so much, but I just feel really bad because I feel like I've gotten your hopes up with really weird alien social media posts and my maybe odd behavior it may seem like i'm giving some weird subliminal messages but it's not that's 100 me pretty much losing my mind in the middle of a pandemic so that's fair enough mm. people suggested that her leaving the powerpuff pilot was so that she could free up time for secret invasion because they cited scheduling conflicts but i'm pretty sure that scheduling conflict is between her doing nothing and doing that and one of them was more preferable than the other. That'd be my guess. Yeah, she's not going to be in it. So it's always good to hear from you, Chloe. Never mind. (laughs) The same what you said. Immense, in my opinion, disappointment of not bringing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. into the MCU in the way that was promised. That was a cowardly move that I will never not be bitter about, because I think the show was doing some great things that we'll never really get to see expanded or explored in any way that's meaningful outside of the show itself. And that sucks, because the original promise was that all of this was going to be integrated and tied together. Whether or not we have the Inhumans to blame or what, I'm still (laughs) betrayed. (laughs) Infinitely betrayed. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think that it's going to be possible to integrate those things, unfortunately. No, but leave Chloe Bennett alone. Let her get on with buying her stuff. Just let her get on with it. Yeah, also, what the heck? Leave people alone. She's out shopping. Leave her alone. <laughs> Women be shopping. Let them to be shopping. Let her live. Let her not be in the Powerpuff pilot because she doesn't want to be in it rather than being attached <laughs> to something else. Also that, my goodness. <laughs> okay, we've got another rumour here that might be true. It's not cited with a legitimate source but it's to do with Venom crossing over with Spider-Man and various other things. It wasn't Deadline reporting it but someone who works for Deadline was speaking on a podcast called the Hero Nation podcast. He noted that there's a plan at Sony Pictures is to not only bring Venom and Spider-Man together but the plans for a Sinister Six movie are something the studio is still keen to get to. And the quote is Sony's always kept outside of the new Spider-Man stuff they're doing with Disney slash MCU Sony's always kept their Marvel stuff separate. With this Venom, the upcoming Let There Be Carnage, they're actually going to connect to the Spider-Man universe they're setting up with Disney slash MCU. I know one of their long-term goals is to make Sinister Six, and that's kind of the project we're all waiting for. Their version of the bad guys from the Spider-Man universe. So, yeah, Venom crossing over with Spider-Man. As much as I like the Venom movie that we got, I'm still going to say that it's disappointing that the version of Venom we get doesn't come from Spider-Man. And it's going to be the one that persists for a little while. And we probably won't get an MCU version of Venom for that reason. So having them cross over when they have nothing to do with each other really doesn't excite me that much. I just think it's a bit dull. And going back to the Sinister Six thing, it just seems like Sony are itching to fall back on the habits that almost doomed the franchise in the first place. 
genuinely, I'm just really surprised to hear of all this. The crossover, not so much. I've expected this a long time now, especially since the Venom movie started happening. It was like, it's only a matter of time. So that in itself, I don't have any particular feelings towards. I actually haven't seen Venom. I don't very much care for it. And the trailer for Venom 2, I hated that. (laughs) (laughs) I hated that. I'm like, oh my god, I am so not interested in any of this. Take it away, please. So I have no feeling one way or the other about the crossover thing. I may just not watch whatever. I think it'll depend on future trailers and stuff. I'm not making any judgments quite yet. But yeah, the tendency of Sony to just be like, hey, remember that thing we tried to do that didn't work? Let's try it again. Oh, (laughs) it didn't work again? Let's try it again. (laughs) Once more with feeling. (sighs) What are they thinking? (laughs) (laughs) It's that whole quote of to be crazy or like madness is to keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. Yeah. Which I think summarizes Sony up to a T at this point. (laughs) So sad. Yeah. Let's hop over to the DC universe now. There is a rumour about HBO Max developing a series about the Penguin that will be a spin-off of the Batman, the Robert Pattinson Batman film. We already have a spin-off in the works for that called Gotham PD, which essentially sounds like we're doing Gotham again, but it might actually be good this time. Who knows? (laughs) But it's just another one of these, here's a bunch of Batman stories without Batman in them, and we're going to have to explain where Batman is this entire time. This will be slightly different. It sounds like it's more of a prequel where it's about the Penguin's rise to power, so it's probably several years before Batman came into being. Whether it'll be Colin Farrell reprising the role for this, or whether they'll even make this, is up for debate at this point. But I just thought I'd put it on, because I'm really not interested in it. And I thought I'd mention it. Yeah. (laughs) Do I want to see a TV show spinning off from a film I haven't seen about a character that I have no real interest in? At least based on versions of him I've seen in other things. No, you've got a lot of work to do to convince me of this DC. So it'd be like yes. Goodfellas, but with the Penguin. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. I'd actually be down for that. The Sopranos, but with the Penguin. I don't know. That's something that's happening or not happening. Who knows? But I'm not that excited. <laughs> about a Penguin TV show? Nah. I'm vaguely excited about the Batman and that's enough for me for now, I suppose. <laughs> I'm far less involved in DC things than you are. You know way more than me. Penguin is my villain because that one Tim Burton movie (laughs) scarred me for life. Danny DeVito, I love your work. So I'm kind of vaguely open to it, but I'm also kind of not... I wouldn't be surprised if it's, like you say, just kind of meh. (laughs) So we'll see. But also, you're the person in my life who knows the most about all these DC shows. Their hit and miss ratio has not been too bad, actually. So who knows? Question mark? I'm just not outright super involved or super invested in DC properties generally. So you watch it and you let me know. (laughs) I'm sure you'll write reviews. I'll find out if it's good or not. The, the Penguin one, I'm not sure I will. I'm not oh, sure that'll be not? something. Okay. <laughs> no, no, maybe I will. I have no idea. There's only so much I can do, and that's probably not a priority for me, but we'll see. So next up for DC thing is the Flash movie, or the Batman movie, that has maybe the Flash in it at some point. There's been a tease of a costume, and it's Michael Keaton's Batman suit with a lightning bolt logo on it, which could be a reference to these versions of Batman from other realities where they just go nuts and kill heroes and steal their powers. So they steal a Green Lantern ring, steal the Flash's speed, whatever. So it's a suggestion that that might be something that Michael Keaton will be doing, or he'll be playing multiple roles. One of them is 
that that evil bat flash type character. It's a cool tease. I like the picture of the lightning bolt on the bat suit. That looks pretty cool. I mean, the director shared it, so they're going to include it in some way or another. And it looks like there's going to be multiverse hopping, so anything's to play for, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, intriguing. Yeah. I can't say that I know very much about it to start with. It's one of those things where I hear about it and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. But once again, because I'm not generally super invested in this side of things, no thoughts largely, I would say. Fair enough. Okay, this one is also a rumour. There could be an HBO Max series based on the Sasha Kelly version of Supergirl that will be introduced in The Flash. Apparently... It will chronicle her origin and how she comes to be involved in the events of the Flash movie. And then it will pick up from there. We're about to get the end of one Supergirl TV show and the beginning of another, I guess. And this will be very different. I'm not against the idea. A different take on Supergirl. I'm already up for that. And getting to see a bit more of her in the form of her own TV show. Again, I'm kind of up for that. Would this not interfere with the Supergirl that already exists? Well, it will be finished by then. So, no. Okay. Different version completely. So it's nothing to worry mm-hmm. about enough so if you want to give a supergirl property another go this could be your chance to jump on the train mayhaps mayhaps (laughs) if it gets made it's just a rumor at this point it was just Mm. mentioned on a podcast so who knows just putting rumors on there normally i like sources but sometimes you don't have any and they're interesting enough to even just bring up on your own (laughs) as long as it's not covered by exclusively clickbait sites i think it's fair game yes exactly okay for aquaman and the lost kingdom we have some pictures of stuff The first is of Jason Momoa wearing a black suit, Aquaman stealth suit. It looks like Jason Momoa in a black suit that's Aquaman-ish. Looks pretty cool. And the other one is of Patrick Wilson, again, reprising his role, but he's looking super ripped like everybody does in these things. (laughs) So those are two things that were released. I like the look of the suit. Seeing some guy with abs, whatever, seen all the time. It kind of makes me feel insecure. But yes, let's show that. Why not? I... Never saw Aquaman. (laughs) (laughs) The one nugget I have for this is Patrick Wilson is just such an unexpected action hero. Yeah. He doesn't look like much, bless his heart, in terms of he'll be ripped or he can kick your ass. Because he just has a soft, kind face. And then they keep casting him in things like this. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I suppose, I guess that's fine. It just messes with me. (laughs) (laughs) Just very unexpected. But yeah, this is one of those films that I just completely missed when it was out. And now we're headed towards a sequel and it's like, oh, okay, right. That exists still. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Well, you might enjoy Aquaman. I'd say give it a go. It's fun. Hmm. Okay, let's move over to the CW. We almost didn't have a CW entry this month, but lo and behold, yesterday one appeared. And it was an unexpected one. The CW is going to be producing a reboot of Babylon 5 which is a show that I didn't watch. I just couldn't get into it. And it's J. Michael Straczynski, who ran the original, who's going to be running this one. The new take revolves around John Sheridan, who was originally played by Bruce Boxleitner, an Earth Force officer with a mysterious background, who is assigned to Babylon 5, a five-mile-long space station in neutral space, a port of call for travellers, smugglers, corporate explorers, and alien diplomats at a time of uneasy peace and the constant threat of war. His arrival triggers a destiny beyond anything he could have imagined as an exploratory Earth company accidentally triggers a conflict with civilization a million years ahead of us putting Sheridan and the rest of the B5 crew in the line of fire as the last best hope for survival of the human race so he's going to be executive producing this and it's a from the ground up reboot and he's been talking about apparently on social media about how he's going to do it differently I'm guessing they'll cast young new people in these famous roles and probably get one or two of the old guard to 
play new characters or something like that. That's how it usually works with reboots. In theory, it sounds interesting. Maybe I'll jump on this and have a look. I know that Babylon 5 is landmark in the sense that it's one of the early shows, certainly in the sci-fi genre, to come in with a five-year plan that it carried out. And it's sort of paved the way for serialised storytelling that we now take for granted in a lot of ways. A lot of people compare it to Deep Space Nine because they're both sci-fi shows set on a space station. I think the similarities largely end there. But I haven't really seen much of Babylon 5. I know a few people that love it and I wonder how they feel about a reboot of it. But I think it was only a matter of time. So cool. I'll keep an eye on this and see what I think of it. It's interesting that the original showrunners coming back to do it again, but differently. That's an interesting one. And that's something we'll talk about later on, actually, on some other property that's sci-fi related. Tease that for later. So Babylon 5 on the CW. The CW could be an interesting home for it in terms of the common tropes we associate with the CW that we all love, certainly on this website. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're certainly big fans of the CW here, for sure, in different respects, I think. But yeah, I have never seen Babylon 5. It's one of those kind of big hulking things that I was always too intimidated by. Same with Battlestar Galactica for some reason. And so even though they're quite iconic and essential to the genre even, like you say, they've shaped episodic storytelling as we know it. And this much I know, but I haven't actually seen the thing. So it's interesting to me, just the involvement of the actual showrunner being back for it seems to suggest that there's enough merit to a reboot. What can we do now that we couldn't do back then type thing? That being said, what you say, yeah, the CW is an interesting home for it. (laughs) Bless their heart, but they don't tend to have unlimited budgets, right? No. So that being said, they've done some very interesting things for years and years without having unlimited budgets. So it's not the end-all be-all, but it certainly helps with space-themed things, a la The Expanse, which we have covered on the show with other people, obviously, um, where... Budget is definitely, I think, an element of just anything space opera, anything where you have lots of galactic anything, whether it's the sets and costumes and prosthetics or just straight up the VFX. That's expensive. (laughs) So I don't know. I'm not necessarily concerned. I'm curious. Let's just say I'm curious as to how this is going to play out on the CW. It just sounds like the showrunner has ideas of what could I do now with my experience of having done this and also other shows? How can we improve? I think as with any creative, you build something and you release it, you let it go out into the world, it becomes a thing. But your work kind of doesn't stop necessarily. You're always thinking of, ah, man, if I, especially in the world of TV and film, where we've just come so far, having that possibility of we could do all this other stuff that back in the late 90s early 2000s would never have been possible how can we build on this now is a reboot the ideal way to do that i don't know how this has happened but i don't know anything about the plot and so i don't know if there's rooms for sequels or in-universe spin-offs or anything like that so i don't know if this is the only story that can be told in that world. It's very interesting to me, and I wonder how accessible this will be to both fans of the original, but also people who haven't seen the original, uh, how that's going to stand for both groups. I think that would be an interesting thing to see. Yeah, I do have a number of thoughts on it being on the CW. The budget thing that you mentioned, 
Definitely a consideration. I know the original Babylon 5 was one of the first TV shows to use CGI for well, everything. Not everything. They had practical sets and stuff. But the external stuff, all the ship stuff, was all CGI. So they never had a model of the Babylon 5 station that they were shooting. It was always a CGI model that they were using. And the CGI apparently improved as the seasons went on. But they did do a lot of like external space battles and stuff like that. So the CW doing it, it's probably going to look a little bit cheap. I mean, they have managed to hide the gaps in their visual effects work on various shows over the years quite well. And it depends if there's going to be any HBO Max money thrown at it as well. Because, for example, Superman and Lois is actually an HBO Max production, apparently, but it just airs on the CW. So this could be similar. I see. So I don't know. And I think a lot of people attribute CW shows as being teen drama, love triangles, pretty people getting into bizarre situations, that kind of thing. And I do think there is a large element of truth to that. Speaking as someone that watches a lot of CW shows, there's a lot of elements of truth to that. It's pretty people getting into shirtless love triangles happens on <laughs> almost every one of their shows. <laughs> it just does. That is- shamefully true yeah yeah (laughs) and yeah it's something we have to accept just watch any of riverdale and you'll cringe because that's all that show is i think pretty much Mm. but at at the same time they have done a lot of mature programming here and there as well i think their arrowverse programming at its best is excellent in terms of what they can come up with when they try and get away from the tropiness of the stories that they typically tell, The Hundred, which is now finished and actually was terrible in its final season. That was some quite mature storytelling in there through the years. So there's that capability there. Plus with Straczynski being involved, I don't think he's going to let them compromise him too much. I think he has a lot of clout as a producer and a writer, so I don't think there'll be any arguments there really. I don't think he'll capitulate to them making demands of him too much. He might, I don't know. But we'll see. And I don't know very much about the old show. So, yeah, it could be a good jumping on point. I don't really have any desire to watch the old show either. I've seen bits and pieces of it and it just doesn't grab me. Star Trek was my thing, not this. Interesting, though. Interesting that this is happening and this is where it's ended up. Speaking of expensive sci-fi, we have June Part 2. It might happen. It's unclear at this point, but if it does happen, it will start early next year. Denis Villeneuve says he's ready to go with it. It's out in some places at the moment, which is very annoying because I really want to see it. And there's so many other people that have seen it before me. And it's just annoying that I haven't seen it because I really want to see it. (laughs) It would be really good if he gets to make the second one. Because my big fear with it was going to be the Blade Runner 2049 problem. This film is great, but it's not accessible to people in the way that it needs to be so therefore it's really expensive and flops and they won't make another one it doesn't seem like that might be the case here i think it is doing well where it has been released the word of mouth has been great and i just can't wait to see it it's too far away for me at this point but obviously i hope they get to finish it i share your trepidation dune is one of those things that i think i've tried starting it a couple times and it's a bit intimidating do you mean the book or the original film Yeah, the book. I haven't seen the original film. I haven't seen the Children of Dune TV show either. It's one of those things where I I started the book once or twice and I was like, I just kind of can't get into this. It's a bit too dense. Also, why is the main character's name Paul? (laughs) (laughs) I just find it a bit ridiculous. But anyway, all that being said, I've heard about the Denis Villeneuve one that it's what it should be in terms of genre. I subscribe to this newsletter by a journalist who covers science fiction and fantasy news called Andrew Liptak. And he wrote about this, that Dune is military sci-fi, very much in terms of the book 
kind of grapples with military strategy and stuff like that, which some of the adaptations apparently don't quite get right. And at least in his view, this new film looks to get the spirit of the book better than most. And in that sense, it's interesting to me not having read this. The trailer to me looks very good. And I don't think that there should be a requirement or an expectation for anyone to have read or be familiar with anything. Oh, no. No, you should just watch it blind and and be able to follow it. Exactly. A good adaptation will get across all these things in a successful way. I'm very excited about this film in particular. I'm very glad to hear that they're already possibly planning. I'd be surprised, really, if this doesn't do well. It has all the markings of a hit. And obviously, Warners and Legendary, they've spared no expense. Everything's as high-end as it could be. They've got Denevian of directing. They've got Hans Zimmer doing the score, which I've heard a little bit of, by the way. And it is so good and so mind-bendy, which sets a great mood for me. I'm like, yes. Hans, you're outdoing yourself again. And obviously casting people like Timothy Chalamet and Jason Momoa, Zendaya, they're the creme of the creme of Hollywood right now. Chalamet in particular, he is the it boy. So I'm very sure that the plans for part two have kind of been in place for a while, but they're just hedging their bets just because of COVID and sales figures and what's possible right now. But I would not be surprised if this becomes an absolute blockbuster hit. COVID be damned. I think this is the sort of film that kind of scratches the itch of both people who are familiar with the source material and they're like, yes, finally, a decent adaptation of this. And at the same time, everybody else who doesn't, I'm thinking of the young people who have definitely not read the book, but they're big Chalamet or Zendaya fans. And they're like, yes, I'm here for a big sci-fi epic with my man, Timothy. I think part two is absolutely happening. I'm very confident. And the plan is to still shove it on HBO Max day and date in the US as well, which probably isn't the best way to see it for the first time, but it probably will get a lot more eyeballs in front of it at the same Mm. time as well. For those that are less confident about maybe going to the cinema they'll have that option it's just the release strategy has really annoyed me because it's out in other places and i'm not able to see it yet i'm just really bitter about it i want to see it right now (laughs) (laughs) same i know very looking forward to it and because it's been pushed back a couple of times it's just like come on i just want to see it already i mean it's only a couple of weeks away right it's the same film whenever i see it but i just get annoyed when people see stuff before me i can't help it Moving on, we have our first look at HBO's TV series based on The Last of Us video games. It's just one picture, and it's Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey from behind looking at a crashed plane on a grassy field. And it just looks like a live action still from the video game, basically. So that's enough for me to say, yeah, cool. Looks good. Mm. (laughs) Looks like that thing that I've played. I have concerns about how this TV show is going to be. Because I do feel like they already told the story of Joel and Ellie pretty perfectly in the video game. But at the same time, I'm I'm still interested enough in this at this point. Mm. Looks like they're really shooting for prestige status for it already. Yeah. So it'll be out end of next year, whenever that is. It's a picture of something that looks like it's from the video game. So they're really campaigning along the, look how accurate this is, stance at this point. I have not played the game. I probably will not watch the series, not because it doesn't look good, it looks amazing, but 
I have one phobia, and it's of mushrooms, fungus, mold. It just creeps me the hell out. I can't do it. And I don't want to think about a deadly fungus that makes you into a zombie. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. That is very much not my bag. I've watched a friend play one of those DLCs that I think it was around the first Last of Us. The Left Behind DLC. It's the only DLC they've had. That's the one. And my friend who played this for me so that I don't have to play it was very conscious of my phobia. And so she was like, this doesn't really feature the fungus, so you're fine. So that's kind of like my only direct experience with this. It pains me because I know that it is one of those great stories. You know, the games keep winning awards. And like you say, this does have a prestige look about it. I'm pretty sure that it's going to be great. But it's not one for me, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to spend however long it is just in deep stress because mold is gross and it scares me. <laughs> <laughs> the thing for me with a video game is the word immersion is thrown around a lot where it comes to video games. But I do think The Last of Us and its sequel are very immersive in the sense that you are wandering around this desolate world and you feel part of that relationship or you feel like you're adjacent to that relationship that's forming between these two characters because so much focus is on how they interact and what they do to survive together and things like that and how close they get as the game progresses. Obviously, TV is a different medium, so you will have that distance from it. You won't have any direct interaction with those characters in the same way. So that worries me about it. And again, it's a story I've already seen told very, very well before. So I don't know what the TV show is going to give me that it didn't give me before in the game. Well, I think it just makes it accessible to an entire new group of people. Sure, yeah. Anyone who's not likely to play the game, because there's plenty of people who would very much enjoy the story, but they're not interested in gaming or experiencing the story that way. I'm kind of like that with things like uh, Death Stranding, for example, where I'm very here for the story, but I really don't care about playing <laughs> endless hours of couriering things around and things like that. So if there's a way that I can experience this without that aspect of it, then I would. So I'm pretty sure that it's going to find its audience and people who play the game will also enjoy this probably. But I think there does have to be an awareness of it being too familiar for people that are familiar with the games because yeah. I know if I just watch it and it's beat for beat what the game gave me already, then it'll be worse for me because I'm not involved in it in any way or something. I don't know. But I think I'll be disappointed if it's just what I've already played, but yeah. without me playing it, because I could just watch a Let's Play of someone not talking over it and it would get sure. essentially the same vibe from it. But I will see. I'll give it a watch for sure because I love the franchise. I love the story. So I have to be justified when I complain about it. So I'll have to watch it, which makes me sound, again, very negative. I don't mean to be negative. <laughs> but yeah, I want to have a justified opinion when it comes to it. So I'll watch it. And it's a rare thing for me to watch an HBO thing. Normally they tend to be too intense for me. Oh, who knows? Moving on, we teased this, or I teased this before, where we have someone who used to show run something returning to it in a surprise shock move. No one saw this coming. Russell T. Davies, the person that brought Doctor Who back in 2005, is coming back for the 60th anniversary. Chris Shibnall's leaving and Russell T. Davies is coming back to helm the 60th anniversary and a series at least afterwards. That's mental. That's a crazy development. I did not expect that. I'm in two minds about it as well because at the time he left, I felt like it had been enough. He'd done... 
what he needed to do and the cracks were starting to show it seemed like he was starting to run out of steam but I also acknowledge he might have matured as a writer and he can change up what he was trying to do last time and do something new this time hopefully he does because we can't go back to that kind of storytelling things have moved on so we can't just have let's mention Bad Wolf in every episode and then culminate it with something that makes no sense in the finale. You won't get away with that now, but it's an interesting and unexpected development. Yeah, I don't think that this ever happens, really. Somebody coming back, it tends to be final. Like, once you're out, you're out. Yeah. So seeing this sort of thing is like, oh, okay, an old showrunner coming back to a show that's still running, because it's different to the Babylon 5 guy, because that show has been over for quite some time. So... Yeah, very unexpected. I'm not a Doctor Who super fan. I've watched it here and there. I didn't like... (laughs) This is controversial. (laughs) And I'm sure that some of the listeners will have my head for it. But I don't love David Tennant's Doctor. I know he's most people's favorite. He is not mine. (laughs) I found him pompous, arrogant, and annoying. I mean, that's the Doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but he was very arrogance forward, shall we say? Mm. You know, he was just like, I know everything. My favorite doctor actually is Matt Smith, because he kind of had a childlike innocence and wonder to him that I found much more to my liking. I didn't love the Moffat era for pond reasons, (laughs) (laughs) which is also kind of unpopular opinion. People tend to love the ponds for some reason. I am not a fan. But then I didn't like Capaldi's Doctor either. I tried to get into Johnny Whitaker's Doctor, but those episodes were just boring. They were fine, but they were kind of safe. The writing's crap for Julia Whitaker. That's a problem. Yeah, it was just kind of safe and just not interesting or novel enough. So yeah, it's a bit of a disappointment, I have to say, because I really wanted to enjoy the first female Doctor, but it was a bit of a blip. So we'll see what Russell T. Davies has in mind. He must have something in mind. And also something I saw online was when he was first making the show, the landscape was quite different. So having this out gay writer coming back, could this show get gayer? <laughs> Question mark. Because I'm here for that. <laughs> could do. That's probably the side of it that I'm most curious about. Okay, now that he's coming back to a very different BBC, to a very different era, really, and he's made a few very gay shows in the meantime. (laughs) So that would be very interesting. And I'd really like the Doctor to remain a woman, but we'll see what that has in store. I'm not knocking it but i feel like just now that we've made some progress or perhaps maybe the doctor can be ginger once (laughs) (laughs) who knows a ginger woman still not ginger not to be negative or anything but just i don't know what to expect we'll see i'll definitely give at least a couple episodes ago as i always do and we'll see how the doctor fares i understand your concerns around that and like i say I know what Russell T Davies did before and he can't do that again. He can't make that show again because that show won't fly now. It just won't. Things are very different. People won't deal with it. People won't put up with it. It was fine at the time and it was of its time and it got the franchise back in a really big way after so long sitting on the shelf. So he should always be commended for that. He brought it back, made it workable, made it popular for sure. I just wonder what it will be. In terms of Doctors, I like David Tennant, although I understand why people wouldn't. I understand why people wouldn't like any of the Doctors, really, because it's all 
personal preference and so on. Capaldi's been my favourite of the modern era. I've seen almost none of the old era, really. But Capaldi's my favourite of that era, followed by David Tennant. It'd be funny if he tries to reset everything. The first scene of his series picks up as David Tennant's regenerating, and it's all been a weird dream that he has while he's regenerating. And then it's just oh, it cuts off everything that came after, which would be a shame because there's some good stuff there. Some bad stuff there, but some good stuff. But yeah, he's back, and that's going to be something interesting. It's interesting that it's happening, so I'm compelled to see what he'll actually do with it. And won't have that long to find out, to be honest. Got Jodie Whittaker's last stuff and then he's back in 2023, so it's not far away, really. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Next up, this is for an animated movie. Hayley Atwell has been cast as Lara Croft for an animated Netflix Tomb Raider series. So I said movie, it's an anime series. It's based on the action-adventure video game that spawned comic books and three feature films with a fourth on the way, etc. So this is going to be picking up after the reboot trilogy that was recently released and follow her 25 years after her first game appearance in that trilogy as she explores new territory sounds fine in concept but i not sure why this has to be Haley atwell and not camilla luddington who voiced her in those games i've got a big thing about voice actors being replaced by let's call them live action actors oh sure yeah i've interviewed a few voice actors over the years and I'm always interested in their process and how much hard work it is and stuff like that. And they do feel like they're underappreciated when compared to the people that are appearing on screen. And so just Hayley Atwell stepping in, taking over this role, maybe Camilla Loddington said, I don't want to do this. And that's why this is happening. But I, yeah, I don't know, it just feels like a bit of a shame for her. But Hayley Atwell voicing Lara Croft. I know a lot of people have suggested she should play Lara Croft in live action a number of times. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's not going to be a bad thing. Yeah, I'm not super invested in anything Lara Croft. I've enjoyed certainly both the older films. Even the Alicia Vikander one was, yeah, I thought it was not fine. bad, actually. Yeah. yeah, But yeah, I agree with you there, especially because it's a voice role. It's just a celebrity factor more than anything else. And that kind of sucks, but I also understand she definitely could play her in a new movie. That would be cool. I'd be very down for that. But this is the sort of thing where, because it's based on the games that I've not really played, I'm kind of a little removed from it. But that's not to say that I wouldn't necessarily like it. So yeah, when it's out, we'll see how it is and how she fares. Yeah. So the next news item I put on, especially for you, knowing that you like these things. A Pitch Perfect series has been ordered at Peacock with Adam Devine on board to reprise his role from the film franchise. The series is set several years after the events of the films. Devine returns as Bumper Allen, who moves to Germany to revive his music career when one of his songs becomes big in Berlin. I haven't seen any of the Pitch Perfect movies, so what do you think of this? All I'll say is, yes! <laughs> and... Aka perfect. Just, yes. Yes, please. Yes, thank you. I don't know that Bumper, of all people, is the takeaway character for me from these movies. But sure. Go <laughs> off. The fact that this is set in Germany, I just want to see Flula Borg return. He's an integral part of Pitch Perfect 2. Literally, I think, the star <laughs> of that movie. German dancer, DJ, actor, comedian, all-around weirdo. Great guy. Very funny. Look him up on YouTube. He's been on the Conan show a few times. What a crazy character. Love him. So I just want him to be back because he is a shining star. Yes, more of him. Generally, I don't know how this happened, but I'm just such a Pitch Perfect super fan. <laughs> Pitch Perfect was one of those things that I walked into the cinema with that 
attitude that we were talking about earlier, this can't disappoint me. I already think it's going to be garbage. And then it turns out to not only not be garbage, but actually be really good. (laughs) (laughs) And that was a, a very big surprise for me. The first one in particular was just like, wait, what? (laughs) And then, yeah, it turns out Elizabeth Banks has been behind the camera for all of them and on camera for most of them. She's really spearheaded just a very feminine, but also just badass kind of attitude in these movies. The music is fun. It's just fun. And it's also kind of a window into what's popular for me because I don't necessarily listen to a whole lot of pop music. So whenever they did a few things on Pitch Perfect, it was like, oh yeah, I know that song. It was on Pitch Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the natural evolution of, oh yeah, I know that song. It was on Glee. (laughs) (laughs) I am that person, unfortunately. This is promising because Elizabeth Banks is involved again. She is, yep. I don't particularly care about Bumper as a character. He's funny. He starts off a bit of an antagonist because he's part of a rival a cappella group to the one of the main characters portrayed by Anna Kendrick and Rebel Wilson and stuff. But then in the second movie, he's more of a supporting slash romantic interest character opposite Rebel Wilson. And then I don't even think he's in the third one. But the third one also kind of doesn't count. It's very much a let's make a third one to make it a trilogy type thing. Really, it's the first two that are great. I'm doing the chef's kiss emoji, which you can't (laughs) see because you're just listening. So he's okay as a character. He's a little bit over the top, which is perfect for this framework. Pitch Perfect is very much about over-the-top people, acapella people. Everything is singing all of the time. I would really have liked to see one of the female characters lead this, but also this is consistent with Bumper's character, (laughs) because at some point in the second one, I don't know if this is a spoiler to people who haven't seen Pitch Perfect 2, but he goes to a talent show. So the fact that one of his songs has gone big in Germany, so he goes to Germany to further his singing career. It's a bumper thing. It's absolutely a bumper thing to do. So fine. I'm fine with it. But I just wish that it was one of the ladies. But maybe we'll see some of the ladies. I should hope that at least Anna Kendrick makes an appearance. It's early days, isn't it? Yeah, perhaps one of the lesser characters. There's certainly some recurring characters who could appear again. Skylar Aston, maybe. Austin, even. Here for it. We'll definitely watch it. We don't have Peacock Plus here. What are we going to (laughs) do? You'll find a way, I'm sure. I will have to find a way. Lord bless all those VPNs. (laughs) Well, I have no opinion on this. I haven't seen the films, but you have opinion for both of us. So we'll, (laughs) we'll take that. You're excited. And that makes me excited. So that's good enough for me. <laughs> Let's move on to something else that's crazy. The Super Mario animated film has announced a cast. Settle in because this is oh boy. quite interesting. Here we go. <laughs> Chris Pratt is going to be Mario. Charlie Day is going to be Luigi. Anya Taylor-Joy will be Princess Peach. Jack Black will be Bowser. Seth Rogen will be Donkey Kong. Keegan-Michael Key will be Toad. Fred Armisen, if that's how you pronounce it, is Cranky Kong. Sorry, yeah. It's a running gag now. I can't pronounce things. That's a gag. (laughs) But he's voicing Cranky Kong. Kevin Michael Richardson will be Kamek, whoever that is. I don't actually know who that is. And Sebastian Maniscalco as Spike. Again, whoever that is, I don't know. This is nuts. This casting is utterly nuts. It's not what I would have expected. (laughs) Are Chris Pratt and Charlie Day going to be putting on over-the-top 
stereotypical, possibly racist Italian accents. I wouldn't put it past them for this. But this is nuts. I can't believe it. I read it and it's one of those things you read it and you're like, is this real? <laughs> yeah, I was watching Nintendo Direct, and so when this announcement happened, it was just me and my partners losing our shit. <laughs> my partner's a very big Mario fan, so we were like, wait, what? Not here for Chris Pratt, the same way that I think <laughs> the entirety of the internet was like, nope. <laughs> Anya Taylor-Joy, sure, got no problem with her. She's lovely. What I am here for is Charlie Day. As Luigi. As Luigi. Yes, please. Perfect. It's going to be a perfect movie. I don't even care who else is in it. Yes, please. <laughs> that and Jack Black as Bowser is just inspired. It's a match made in heaven. It's going to rock. It's going to be great. Everyone else, I mean, Keegan Michael Key, just... Great. I think everybody apart from Chris Pratt is a great choice. <laughs> it's a bit of schadenfreude on my part, but I've greatly enjoyed just the meltdown the internet has had over Chris Pratt and just <laughs> the memes that have just come out of the casting announcement. It's just been really fun to watch it all play out. Obviously, all of this stuff, it must already be done because the release date is really soon. Next Christmas, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if their parts are already done and dusted. So it's just interesting. And of course, on brand, I think, for Nintendo, they tend to keep very tight-lipped until something's actually quite close to being done. And so then they're like, right, okay, so here's what's happening. And so they give you just enough room to maybe lose your shit a little bit. And then they just give you the final product. And then that's that. They do that with a lot of their flagship games, a lot of the actual Mario games and stuff. So it's not surprising, but it is just out there. It's just out there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, crazy. So let's move away from that shock. Disney are reviving a cult classic favourite, The Rocketeer, with a new Disney Plus movie titled The Return of the Rocketeer. David and Jessica Oy oh God. Oh, yellow -o. Yeah, there we go. Are producing the project written by Ed Rickert will also be a possible starring project for the Selma actor. The original movie, released in 1991, was directed by Joe Johnson, who directed Captain America, the first Avenger, of course, and was adapted from a graphic novel. Cool. I liked The Rocketeer. It's a film I enjoyed. I've got it on Blu-ray and it's something I revisit from time to time. Can't believe it's taken this long to get another one, to be honest. This is one of those that I'm not familiar with at all. A very interesting concept. Here for it. This is Disney really flexing their wings and just taking advantage of the Disney Plus, like, let's just make stuff and release it and not necessarily worry too much about a conventional cinema return on investment in light of a bunch of their tv stuff which i think has been well above average starting with mandalorian of course it's very clear that they're treating disney plus very seriously so i'm very interested in this and interested to see in how they will modernize it as well yeah Plus, keep it retro with the jetpacks and stuff. It'll be cool. Oh, absolutely. Here for the jetpacks. Also at Disney, we are getting another version of The Haunted Mansion, which is a film that I couldn't even sit through. I thought it was so bad, the last version that they tried. Yeah. But this one, they've cast Rosario Dawson, who's going to be joining Lakeith Stanfield and Tiffany Haddish. Owen Wilson is also in it. Justin Simeon is directing. The plot is under wraps. I suspect it'll be a bunch of people going to a haunted mansion and stuff happens. But it's another attempt to turn one of their rides into a film. 
see also Pirates of the Caribbean and most recently Jungle Cruise. Jungle Cruise I quite uh-huh, liked. Of course. So sure, give it a go. Why not? It makes sense to try it. Good cast. Pirates of the Caribbean surprisingly turned out to be good, especially the first one. And I would even argue second and third one and even fourth. The fifth one is garbage, though. I don't think that even they expected that to be so successful. So I'm not dismissing it outright. I haven't seen Jungle Cruise. I kind of have no interest in it, conceptually speaking. Haunted Mansion, I've not seen the original. Neither have I. (laughs) (laughs) Evidently. Overall, I think it has potential, but also it's another one of those. Come on, Disney. You can do more than just recycle but at the same time i think what they're best at is recycling going as far back as actually snow white and all of the first few feature films that they ever made in the 30s all of those are rehashed recycled fairy tales so in fact you could say that disney's entire business is recycling (laughs) so not a surprise i suppose a bit tired because they also own everything but it could be good who knows i like rosario dawson she's cool that's where i'll leave it i don't have very much more to add no it sums it up yeah fine make it go for it why not might be okay as long as it's better than the last one (laughs) (laughs) next up is christopher nolan has jumped away from warner brothers no longer working with him he's going to be making a film with universal about J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. A theoretical physicist who became the director of the Los Alamos Laboratory, Oppenheimer headed the research and development of the bomb that ended World War II under what was covertly called the Manhattan Project. Nolan will produce the film alongside his wife and longtime producing partner Emma Thomas. Sources say the film is now green-lighted to begin production in the first quarter of 2022. Killian Murphy was in the mix for a key role. That might still happen. Who knows? So... Nolan making a film at another studio, whatever it was going to happen. He had some not flattering things to say about Warner Brothers around (laughs) Tenet's release time. But the more interesting thing that people are apparently getting up in arms about is the demands he supposedly made. Some of the demands he's made is he wants total creative control, at least a hundred day theatrical window, a hundred million dollar budget, equal marketing spend, 20% first dollar gross, and a blackout period of about three weeks where the studio would not release another movie before or after. So people are talking about how dare he make these demands, but they're not actually that unusual, apparently, if you read into what other directors get when they make films with major studios, especially high profile Mm -hmm. directors, they will get similar. So people are talking about, Nolan, he's just stepping on everyone's fun. He's making all these unreasonable demands and he's landing on his feet after leaving Warner Brothers and whatever, whatever. I mean, far be it for me to defend Christopher Nolan. I'm going to be the one that will criticise his film probably more than most because I don't worship at the altar of Nolan like some people seem to. (laughs) Let's say that. But at the same time, this isn't a big deal, right? He's making a film with a major studio. He has the clout to make these requests and he'll get it because let's face it he deserves it because he'll bring the money in i'm a nolan fan generally speaking as my interstellar tattoo is perhaps (laughs) proof of but i also agree i don't worship at the altar i didn't like dunkirk for example i haven't seen tenet yet i heard not the best things and so i'm just like eh, it's fine i'm not chomping at the bit to just dive in there i do like the oppenheimer story my favorite play of all time is called oppenheimer and it was a production by the royal shakespeare company i think the playwright's name is tom martin smith beautiful incredible play about morally being stuck in a place where if we don't make this somebody else will 
and so we should make it first. And the devastation wrought by the atom bomb and subsequently your personal responsibility as the creator of it. If the play is anything to go by, Oppenheimer was actually not a bad dude at all. He was a lefty. He was trying to do his best at the time. It was just a very difficult time. And also he was gifted scientifically. And if it weren't them, it would have been the Russians. Somebody would have done it. So yeah, I would love to see Nolan take on this story. He is the director to do it. So I'm very excited about this. I don't particularly care that he's left Warner. (laughs) Who gives a damn? (laughs) He'll go somewhere. Could not care less. Right. There's just not a shortage of studios or production companies or what have you. So wherever he ends up, that's fine. It's interesting to me that he's painted as such a diva when these terms are not, in fact, uncommon. I don't know what it is because he is very much an auteur. And usually people tend to worship at the altar of auteur directors like, oh, my God, Wes Anderson's making a new movie. Martin Scorsese, whoever. And I would definitely put Nolan in that box. And it's just interesting because he's been very vocal about a lot of business things and about business things that perhaps don't favor the studios and companies behind. So just talking numbers and in the middle of a pandemic, being a little bit of a prissy princess and wanting his film to just be seen in cinemas. And it's like, mate, there is a public health concern. Go to the cinema and catch COVID and see my film as it was meant to be seen. Right. There's just more important things than your vision for once. How about we don't die or something? Just, (laughs) okay. God, as much as I love most of his work, that left a sour taste in my mouth. Tone deaf. in a way that just can't be grasped in this moment. But in this particular case, with the businessy stuff and with being like, well, I think my work is worth this much. In the same way that Scarlett Johansson taking Disney to court, do it. The companies and the studios who make the billions, first of all, they can spare it. Second of all, you deserve it because people will come see this movie because it's Nolan doing an Oppenheimer story. Yes. (laughs) So yeah, I don't think that it's entirely unreasonable. The cinema thing I take issue with for COVID reasons, (laughs) but everything else I think is completely fair. And I'm just looking forward to this film. I really am. What I tend to find exhausting about social media really, and that's why I stay away from it as much as possible, unless I have to engage with it for whatever reason, is things like this where people react to this news that comes out. Like I said about earlier, when people were talking about Del Toro writing a bunch of scripts that never got produced. Yes, this happens all the time with lots of people. It's just you're not really seeing it reported. So you don't necessarily find out, unless you go digging, what a director got paid and what their contract was for a film that they were making for a big studio. I think it's been well publicised where people have been doing one for them, one for me type deals with major studios. So I'll make their superhero film as long as I can make my indie darling thing that I want to make. That was happening a lot for a while and probably still is. So in the case of Nolan, like I said, what he's asking for isn't unusual. And there'll be other directors that are getting that for films that they've managed to get financed by a studio. It's just that it's not reported because it is popular to dunk on Nolan in some ways. 
because he's yeah. just in the firing line in, in a lot of ways. And I like his films. I don't love his films. I don't love all of his films and I don't love them unconditionally either. You Love Interstellar, I'm not a huge fan of that film, for example. I just didn't like it that much and I have reasons for that. That won't go into here because we'll be here all night. His Batman films, I like them. Less so the third one. Tenet, I didn't really like at all. The Prestige, I think, is very good. And so on. Oh yeah, that is very good. I think Nolan's dialogue's a bit stilted and I think he has a bit of an emotional distance in terms of his characters. I don't tend to connect emotionally with them very often, which is an issue I have with his stuff. There's also the fact that he just keeps putting people in masks and you can't make out a word they're saying, which is an annoying trope that he has. That is true. So there's that. But yeah, I think it's popular to dunk on Nolan when in this case it's just business. What does it matter to you what he's getting paid for this or what deal he's struck? What matters is you'll get to see this film one day. Yeah. That's all you should really care about, viewer on the street. Yeah. These are the kind of industry news that mean more to certain people than they will to the average viewer like you or I. And so it's just interesting to see mainstream publications take these headlines and run away with them and make up something else, infer other things about character and personality and things like that. It's just like, hmm, that's telling. Okay. Yeah. Just don't do it. Just watch the film and stop caring about things that have nothing to do with you, basically. Okay, back to Disney again. They are doing a Flight of the Navigator reboot with a female lead, a project that Bryce Dallas Howard is attached to direct and produce. The original movie, starring Joey Kramer, Sarah Jessica Parker and Veronica Cartwright, follows a boy who travels eight years into the future from 1978 and has an adventure with an intelligent, wisecracking alien ship named Max, who was voiced by Paul Rubens. It's like you said, Disney recycling again. But mm-hmm. not a bad idea. Bring this story to a new generation of people. Stick the original on Disney Plus if it isn't already. And yeah, you could be on a winner here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested to see what a Bryce Dallas Howard movie looks like. My partner and I have a running joke about Ron Howard, who is Bryce Dallas Howard's father, which is if you want a perfectly competently shot movie, you call Ron Howard. Yeah. It's not going to be groundbreaking but it's going to be well-made, no matter what. For example, Solo, which a lot of people didn't like, you can't argue that it was badly filmed or badly directed. He came in and he did a job and he does it great. So I wonder what Bryce has picked up through her life and as an actor and stuff in Hollywood. So what that's going to look like with her directing. She's done episodes of The Mandalorian, hasn't she? Or at least one episode of The Mandalorian. Yeah, she has. And that was fine. I can't remember which one it was now, (laughs) but I enjoyed the whole show. I think conceptually, just stuff in the story for Flight of the Navigator, it certainly bears modernizing. I don't know that we would necessarily super connect with a character from the 70s flying to the 80s. (laughs) So it'll be interesting to see how that is kind of translated. 90s to early 2000s, maybe? I don't know. Oh, actually, I just had a quick Google about Bryce Dallas Howard's Mandalorian episodes, and they were pretty good episodes, actually. Okay. It was Sanctuary in season one and The Heiress in season two. Both of those are great. I wasn't into The Mandalorian, so... Oh, man. Don't care either way. But yeah, sure. It's pretty good. But yeah, that's very promising, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So another recycle, but could be good. It always has the potential to be good. Back to Netflix. They have bought out the Roald Dahl Story Company. So they're going to be making a bunch of adaptations of Roald Dahl stuff, such as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda, the BFG, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and others. Financial details weren't disclosed, but the deal, which has been widely speculated, is believed to mark one of Netflix's biggest purchases to date. 
rights. Netflix's previous arrangement with the Roald Dahl Story Company signed in 2018, giving the animated rights to 16 of Dahl's titles, is believed to have been in the nine-figure territory, according to sources at the time. As part of that arrangement, Taika Waititi and Phil Johnson are currently working on a series based on the world of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, while Sony and Working Title are putting together an adaptation of Matilda the Musical. So this is going to give Netflix a rake of content to adapt. So that's going to be great. Maybe Roald Dahl stuff. Grew up reading those nihilistic books in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's been some interesting chat about this acquisition because interestingly, they didn't just buy the rights to adapt. They bought... The company. Yeah, they bought the company that is the books. And so Netflix, in effect, will own the books. So... I wonder what that will mean in terms of what stays in print or how that's going to be handled the publishing side. That's effectively Netflix dipping their toe into the publishing business, Mm -hmm. which is a very different beast entirely than film and TV. So interesting. Also interesting, what will they choose to adapt? Roald Dahl has a history of being anti-Semitic and racist in some of his work. So I wonder what that's going to mean both for the books but also for adaptations and also side note i don't need a new matilda leave matilda (laughs) alone there's plenty of other old dolls book that you can mess with but matilda's been done it was perfect i will take no arguments (laughs) well it's based on the musical well the musical's good the musical is good but also hmm, i did enjoy the musical tim minchin was the perfect person to do the music for that so it's a great little production managed to see it in london a couple years ago now so yeah okay fine Fine, maybe, question mark. And there's talk of a cinematic universe, because of course there is. That I can believe, and and I can buy into it, because I think there's a loose connected thread between a lot of Dahl's work, so I could see that working. I do remember the BFG is mentioned in, I think it's Danny the Champion of the World. In one paragraph, there's mention of the BFG, so yeah, whatever. A great collection of stories there, and they probably haven't seen an awful lot of adaptations, and the anti-Semitism thing, obviously, though get rid of that in the modern era. And I think, not that this excuses it, but people have said that he's anti-Semitic in the way that everybody was anti-Semitic back at that point in time, which, Ah. yeah, doesn't excuse it, but it's a very of-the-time sort of thing. In the same way that Walt Disney was a massive anti-Semite. Yeah, absolutely. He definitely was. But at the same time, it wasn't a radical opinion at the time, I suppose. Again, not that it's a good opinion to hold, but at the same time, it's off the time. So yes, they'll modernise them and they'll get rid of all that and they'll, they'll make sure the messaging is on point or they'll try, I suppose. They've bought that and it's a great acquisition for them. It's got to be a lot of content and Netflix likes their content. So they'll do this. Fine. Approaching the end of our list now, Kevin Bacon is joining John Logan's Untitled Horror Project at Bloomhouse and will also serve as the executive producer alongside executive producer Scott Turner Schofield. The movie is an LGBTQ... IA plus empowerment tale set at a gay conversion camp and stars Theo Germain. The role marks a return for Bacon to the horror genre, a space he appeared in early in his career at Friday the 13th. Almost no details are known about this, but the horror of conversion therapy speaks for itself, doesn't it? The film I've seen that immediately springs to mind is The Miseducation of Cameron Post. Yeah, sure. Sold the horror of that situation, but this will be even more horrific, I would think. Just yeah in terms of content and structure. So it was an interesting project by the signs of things. Also, John Logan is the best. He is the bomb. Yes, please. Oh my God, because he is the brains behind Penny Dreadful. 
which was a fantastic horror show. If any of y'all haven't seen it, oh my god, especially series one and two. Holy cow. So yeah, hearing this, I'm like, yes, please, with bells on top. Oh my goodness. Because John Logan comes from like a playwriting background, his writings it treads that line between poetry and dialogue. There's always just incredible turns of phrase and great subtext and Penny Dreadful is a fantastic example of that. And just seeing some other cast news, Carrie Preston, who was in The Good Fight and The Good Wife, will be in it. And Kevin Bacon, of course. So yes, I am so, so here for this. I think it's going to be quite a breakout. In the interest of balance, John Logan co-wrote the film Star Trek Nemesis, which is not heralded as the best of the Star Trek franchise. I quite like it. But I guess just for balance to say that not everything he does is considered great. I mean, sure. He did some work in the modern Bond films as well. Yeah, he worked on Skyfall. I don't remember if any of the other ones, but definitely Skyfall, which I would argue is the best written one. So <laughs> Yeah, conversion therapy is innately horrific. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what they add to it to exaggerate it in a way, because horror mm. does that. It exaggerates things that you're already kind of scared of, or at least... A lot of good horror does. In Bloomhouse, they seem to be going from strength to strength with various things that they're making. So no reason to doubt this will be any good. No, absolutely. This is actually the penultimate item. I've literally just noticed something that I'll tack on at the end. But this will be our short one. We are getting a return to the wizarding world earlier than planned. Fantastic Beasts, the third one, is going to be called The Secrets of Dumbledore and will open on April 15th, 2022. I have to say I have zero excitement for this because the other two Fantastic Beast films were a complete chore, especially the second one. No, the second one was absolutely garbage. The first one I enjoyed, but now I do not care. You couldn't pay me enough to see anything (laughs) Rowling ever puts her pen to. I am done with her. I am so done. So, yeah, I don't care about this. I suspect a lot of people won't care about this. It will still do well because enough normies will go to the movies and see this, in particular in other countries. But I also suspect that there's going to be a lot of people completely ignoring it in the same way that Harry Potter's just faded to the background because it's kind of dirty now (laughs) because uh, Rowling is a trash bag unfortunately. So, yeah. But if you still want to enjoy that content, then go ahead, because you shouldn't let a bad egg sully your enjoyment of something, I don't think. I'll still watch stuff that Joss Whedon made, so... Sure. Eh. I try to separate the author from the work, but in Rowling's case, I really can't, so that's where I'm at on that. If you can't, that's fair enough, and I know you would never condemn someone that continued to engage with it despite that, because... There are other reasons that you can enjoy stuff. And it's bigger than just her as well at this point. Especially these films. Other people work on them other than her. The second film, I just couldn't cope with it. Because all it is is... It was awful. (laughs) People going from location to location, explaining their backstories to one another. That's all it is. That's all that happens. And it's dreadful. And also just negating a lot of stuff. I think we might have spoken on this on the podcast. But there's some elements in the first movie that... I was very pleasantly surprised by, but also I don't think it's a major spoiler to say there's a major character death. And then in the second movie, not only do they undo the major character death, but they make it worse. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's just another example of a writer 
over meddling with their creation <laughs> and overdoing it and making it worse. That's kind of all I have to contribute on that. I will not be watching this, I'm afraid. (laughs) Fair enough. I don't know if I will either, because the last one kind of broke me. And I think the worst of it is she insists on writing the screenplays and JK Rowling, you're not a good screenwriter. Let someone else do it. Yeah, having that control over your thing that you created, I suppose that's rare in a way, but don't have that control over it. Give it to someone else. So that's a thing that's happening next year. Cool. Whatever. People will enjoy that, I suppose. So the last item, and I promise this is the last item, the planned spin-off of The Boys has officially been ordered to series at Amazon. In addition, Michael Fizikis and Tara Butters will take over showrunners following the exit of Craig Rosenberg, whoever he is. He was an executive producer on The Boys, but departed the spin-off over creative differences. It's set in America's only college exclusively for young adult superheroes and run by Vought International. The untitled series is described as an irreverent R-rated show that explores the lives of hormonal, competitive soups as they put their physical, sexual and moral boundaries to the test, competing for the best contracts in the best cities. The Boys will be produced at Sony Pictures and Amazon Studios. The showrunners I've already mentioned... Some people are starring in it. Much like Mork and Mindy's spin-off from Happy Days, which is an insane and true fact, our spin-off will exist in the Vought cinematic universe, yet have a tone and style all of its own. It's our take on a college show with an ensemble of fascinating, complicated and sometimes deadly young soups. I like The Boys, and I was surprised I liked it because it is very bleak. But there is a couple of characters in it who aren't so bleak, and I think they offset that enough for me. And the spin-off, it doesn't sound like it's my cup of tea, to be honest. It sounds like it's going to be relentlessly bleak and very edgy in the way that I don't like when things are edgy. But it's been a popular property, so they're making more of it and you can't condemn them for that, really. I never watched the boys TV series. I don't have any skin in this game whatsoever. I will agree with you that this sounds overly edgy in the way that it just makes me roll my eyes in the back. (laughs) So I don't think I'll be giving this any of my time. Fair play. I would actually recommend The Boys because, like I said, the bleakness is offset by virtuous characters, which kept me involved, kept me interested. So I found myself interested in the less than virtuous characters because there were those virtuous characters to compare them to. I just want superheroes to be good people, man. just want that. That's all I want. (laughs) Is that too much to ask? Is that too much? Can costume heroes just not be scumbags, please? That'd be great. Thanks. Just do more of that. Good people helping people. Give me more of that. Feels like we're lacking in that. Despite the fact we have a 20-odd film franchise with innumerable TV shows that is about exactly that. But give me more of it, please. (laughs) No more evil Superman. No more evil whatever. I don't know. So that's something that's happening. So that is our last news item. Some might be glad to know, but yeah, busy month September was for news and trailers. Some cool stuff in there. It has to be said, it's some stuff I'm approaching excited about. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot I'm very excited about. It just seems like, as with a lot of things now that a lot of the world is kind of going back to quote-unquote normal, productions are able to resume in a COVID-safe way, and the vaccination program obviously works. As is the case with, I think, a lot of areas of life and a lot of industries, now that we're able to kind of go back to some sort of normal sense of how things can be run, productions can resume filming, etc. It's like releasing a dam. (laughs) It's like everyone's been like, we can't make any films, we can't make, whoa, we can make 
make all the films. So now it's just a lot of things that people were perhaps sitting on for a couple years or any amount they're in and obviously new stuff. So it's just, yeah, we're getting all of the stuff that we didn't get during all of the lockdowns kind of in one fell swoop. But I think they are spaced out quite okay. So I don't mind a lot of this stuff, especially in the trailers that we discussed early. They're not all coming out at the same time. So we'll have <laughs> spaced time. It feels like there's almost no time between blockbusters and cinemas, though. A little bit, yes. But at the same time, it's like, haven't we missed this? I missed this. <laughs> God, I remember, no word of a joke, going to see Shang-Chi and the Marvel logo came on and both my partner and I just kind of started crying. (laughs) (laughs) We missed this, man. We just missed going to the movies and seeing a blockbuster that's just fun. So I'm looking forward to a lot of this. I'm looking forward to possibly seeing a lot of this in cinemas. Some of it I'll be seeing at home, but it's a welcome return, I think. Bring on more movies, more TV, more fun stuff. Yeah, I've been going to the cinema more frequently than you've been your return was much more recent than mine extremely yes yeah but i've been going off and on for the past few months since they reopened really the first thing i saw was a quiet place too and i've been semi-regularly ever since it has taken me a while to properly enjoy going to the cinema again and i don't think i'm quite there yet i suppose it depends on the film but i do remember my reaction to suicide squad being now this is what i've missed or The Suicide Squad. They didn't rescreen the old one. That would be torture. But I remember sitting there watching that one the first time and just being overwhelmed by how much I was enjoying it. And that was new for me. Because not even Black Widow instilled that feeling in me. I felt Black Widow was, yeah, this is fine. If I watched this at home, I wouldn't be too bothered. That kind of feeling. And I still feel like that with some stuff. But I think the feeling is coming back, especially with some of the bigger stuff. So at the time of recording, I am seeing Bond this week. So maybe that'll excite me in mm-hmm. some ways. June, I'm hoping, will just blow me away when I finally see it. Yeah, I'm seeing Bond this week as well. I think it's okay to say this now, but my partner had a small part in working on it. So we're nice. going to a cast and crew screening, which is going to be very fun, I hope. Which cast? I don't know if it's going to be so much a cast as more of a crew thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's like, finally, man, we were supposed to see this two years ago. <laughs> well, enjoy sitting with the cast and our crew crew or oh, and our you. cast <laughs> thank you it's going to be a very early morning screening <laughs> we're recording on tuesday for a peek behind the curtain for you listeners i'm seeing bond on thursday night after work okay yeah i don't know what i'm going to think of it i'm not a huge bond guy but i've seen all the daniel craig ones in the cinema so see this one too just make sure he leaves so i have to be there and make sure he leaves <laughs> Well, that was our September news roundup. Lots of cool stuff there to look forward to. Be back in October for more of news and to pick up the stuff that gets revealed after we finish recording. Almost missed it with the boys. I think that came out yesterday, but I missed it until it was just hyperlinked under the article. I was reading about Fantastic Beasts, so that was lucky. Or not lucky, I don't know. It was there and I was able to comment on it. We'll go with that. So Kat, thanks for giving up your time and being my special guest this month. It's been great hearing your views on stuff and Pitch Perfect, your take on that was, let's just say, Pitch Perfect. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me as always. It was really fun discussing all this. Yeah, my pleasure. So that was the news discussion for September 2021. If you enjoyed what you heard, then please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. It's on your feed if you're listening to this already anyway. If you're on Apple Podcasts, we would love a review. 
and a star rating. But Kat, what star rating would we like? What's our favourite number? Is it five out of five? Yeah, that's the one. That's exactly it. (laughs) Just asking because I am not an Apple Podcasts user, so I don't know how many stars exist. Five, please. Five, please. (laughs) Just give us five and say hello. We'll appreciate it. (laughs) Let's thank Neil Stenson for the supplied music and thank Chris for the banner. His photoshopping skills remain above reproach. If you want to discuss any news item that was on this extensive list or anything else, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog or leave comments on neilbeforeblog.co.uk underneath the articles that accompany these things. And as always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. (laughs) 